Welcome to another episode of the Royal Alliance UK podcast. This is episode number 55, entitled Equinemius versus Amon Ra. My name is Matthew Turner. I am your host, and I'm joined by some of the hardest working men in Lions football, Steve, Ryan, and Tom. How are you doing, boys? Well, good, thanks. Nearly recovered. Yeah, good, thanks. Come around now. Very well. I mean, I put nowhere near the effort than you guys did, so amazing job from all of you. Yeah, two days of about 14 hours of sleep and I'm about back to normal again. So, yeah, we're, we're nearly there. Those, those last comp picks in round seven seem to just last forever. And then the Lions pulled out a value pick right at the end, so it, it made up for it somewhat. Uh, so this is our draft recap show. We're going to go through a little bit of news first, and there is actually a little bit of news additionally to the draft. Then we're going to go through each pick, and we've got a little bit of a mailbag the end as well so we'll kick things off with just a thank you thank you to the boys for the massive effort we did 22 hours of coverage um which i think is is about level with what pff managed to put out i think it's more than any detroit facing fan site managed to put out most people did one or two days i know that we aren't experts we're not full timers on this but we are properly passionate people and if uh, to the boys doing it to anyone who was watching it thank you so much it made it so worthwhile especially those who asked some questions got involved that was really really cool and thank you to the guests for coming on as well we had 25 guests from other teams come on and show tremendous depth of knowledge uh, and engage with us in in really great faith that was really cool we had roger goodgroves on as well from nfl uk and uh, the British American Football Referees Association. He was really great. Snap back at Ant right at the end as well, which was good value. Uh, so if you want to have a look at that, that's about um, holding referees to account for decision-making, which is something which is very topical at the moment and something we all need to kind of think about and, and look at. And, and he spoke about that really, really well. Uh, so that's it, boys. Thank you so much for all your efforts. It was not just the time that we actually were live but the 200 hours or so that we all put in together for it but the best part of it was that the lions actually pulled out a good draft spoiler yeah. it, it, it kind of it kind of made it all worth it in the end didn't it i know a few months back back when it was you know sort of us floating the idea around of doing something for it i don't think we ever envisaged that it would get to uh such a degree with us having guests on from all over the place, officials on as well, as you reminded me, getting rebuked by him as well. But I think considering, <laughs> you know, for two months work, our first time doing this, everyone involved, I think we couldn't have really asked for it to go much better. And I'm already looking forward to next year's iteration. Yeah, yeah. What a display of kind of the UK American football community as well, that you can get people from most of the teams and well, all of the teams, but most from the UK and have those kind of conversations and almost fill that much time in as nice a way as possible. Like I say, that's a lot of time to be talking ball. So, yeah, I thought it was awesome. Yeah, 
yeah, it was really great. Right, let's move on to some news before we go into the draft. So first of all, the Lions are to hire uh, Panther scout Mike Martin to, quote, an elevated role. Not quite sure yet what that elevated role is. That hasn't been established, but uh, it, it could send the sign out that someone from the, the Lions scouting department is on their way. I know there have been some rumours about that, but there's nothing hard and fast in the reputable media. I won't mention one organisation which has something out because I don't think it's a respectable source, but it could sign uh, that, that one of our larger guys in the scouting department is on their way as well. So we'll keep our eyes on that one. Darren Fells, it's been re uh, revealed in the last hour, is visiting the Detroit Lions. He was last with us in 2017, from memory. Uh, had 28 targets for 312 yards, four touchdowns at Houston last year, and has had a couple of really good years there. After not doing much for us a few years ago, he was criminally underused, and especially in the red zone where he's a big, big threat. So hopefully we can get that one over the line for some much needed tight end depth. And in the last 15 minutes, it's been revealed the Lions have signed former XFL long snapper Scott Daly. He's formerly of Notre Dame, which adds to the seven other Notre Dame players we have currently on the roster. We must have one of the biggest contingent of fighting Irish players in the league at the moment. So there we go. Any thoughts, boys, on scouting department fouls? Any memories from his time here? I, th I think Fells at the minute, I think that will be a good signing. I was talking to you before we came on air. I think, you know, if TJ were to go down with an injury, we need a guy who has red zone threat, who is still sort of a threat in the in the passing game because Hill's here for his blocking and we know what, you know, we know exactly what he's here for. So I think it's good veteran depth. And I think it's just a sensible signing, really. I think it's safe to say you kind of covered it in a nutshell there. Criminal, criminally underused tight end. And that's something you could say about Detroit for years because we had Logan Thomas who actually made the transition pretty well and then we got rid of him. He went to Washington and suddenly exploded. So if we can get him back this time and utilise him a little bit better in the red zone, we might actually get out of him what we should have got the first time. Yeah, fingers crossed. I mean, if we can utilise two tight end sets with Hawk and him, that's going to be really hard to face, especially with people who are effective in the red zone on the wideouts as well, like Amon Ra, which we'll come on to later, but he is, he's a red zone threat. A couple of the undrafted guys are red zone threats as well. So, you know, as well as Tyrell being 6'4 and rapid. So, you know, the, it's shaping up to be a <coughs> smash mouth brand of football. And when we hit you up in the red zone, it's going to be tough to play against us. So I can see the plan of action ready. Right, let's move on to the draft. And before we kick off, we did have a couple of questions going into this, and I'm just going to ask, well, ask now. I'm going to put them out there now so that we can consider them as we go. Um, and the main one there, well, is how do we pronounce these guys' names, and we'll take you through that. But also, we'll ask it at the end, but keep it in mind as we go through. If you could undo any of the Lions, players, uh, Lions picks and replace that player with one of your own that was available at that time, who would it be? So as we go through, try and remember where you, where we were on the boards, who might have been available, and then maybe we'll pick one or two when we get down to the bottom. So let's start off with pick number seven, Penne Saul. So Penne, but like the pasta, uh, Penne Saul, tackle from Oregon. Uh, he is a left tackle in college, but actually played the entirety of his high school career at right tackle, and then came on to Oregon and immediately started at left tackle as a 17-year-old. 
have a look at his tape. It's absolutely spectacular what that guy could do at 17, 18, 19 years old. Um, boys, he kind of fell into our lap. Probably the at least the number two non-quarterback offensive player in the entire draft. Maybe the number one, depending on who you listen to. Steve, how did you feel at the time? And how do you feel now? Yeah, I think we, we were really lucky. I said when we did our preview show that, you know, there was three players that were, you know, elite players that we had a chance of getting one of the three, and that was Pitts, Chase, and Sewell. Um, and the way that the draft fell with the 49ers taking Trey Lance, but then the Dolphins taking Waddle, when I think uh, it was maybe expected they would do something differently, just dropped Sewell in our laps. And I think you saw from the reaction from the uh, Lions draft room, you know, that you saw the, the reaction of, of um, you know, Brad and uh, the coach and, and uh, all, of, all of the people in that draft room, that they were absolutely delighted that it had worked out that way. Um, and I think, you know, not the flashiest pick out of those three skill players, probably the, um, I guess, the, the least uh, highlight reel from a... Um, you know, skill point of view, but I think someone that's going to make a, a massive impact on the franchise because this guy is just an absolute juggernaut. And, you know, if Dan Campbell obviously wants to open up the run game and, you know, use Jared Goff in the play action, and to do that, we need to have a credible rushing threat. And this guy is going to do that because he is going to open up some lanes. And when you then look at Ragnow and Decker, you know, we are in a really good position and we've got, you know, DeAndre Swift, Williams and Kerryon Johnson in the backfield. So it's really exciting. It's really exciting that this is going to give us a run game that, you know, we, we've all watched the games and just seen, you know, first and 10, second and seven, third and three. Oh, we're punting. Well, you know, here comes the run game. Look out. Is that how you see it, Ryan? How did he feel when we made the pick? I completely agree, to be honest. It was one of them things like Brad Holmes has said, he even thought, like you say, he would have considered trading up for him for needs be. I think that tells you how highly you rate him. No one starts in college on the offensive line at 17, but most people at 17 aren't six foot six and just over 270 pounds. Like he has got an incredible pedigree. And I feel like he is just an ever growing branch of Polynesian players that is dominating college football. They live and breathe like his. I've seen the VT and his story of how he grew up and how he made his way to the United States. And he's just such a likable guy. He has come such a long way. His family's done everything for him. When Brad gave him the call and said, Look, do you want to come to Detroit because you want him? Like, it was the most passionate I've seen anyone all off season. So the fact he fell there and we didn't have to give up any capital, we've now got four fifths of the line set in concrete. That's all you need to be able to start a proper running game even if we run on first down all the time now we might get more than one or two yards he's going to open up a huge hole somewhere so this is going to be the best way to fix the line and start for golf yeah so just on the polynesian aspect he was the first polynesian first sophomore offensive lineman and first oregon duck to win the outland trophy that's for the best offensive lineman in football he was one of uh, he was a third Oregon player only to be a unanimous first team All American. He finished his sophomore campaign as top graded offensive lineman in PFF history. 
and he only allowed one sack in his two seasons as a college player. So that's pretty outstanding. And I know that your 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 guy Crosby is going to suffer from this, and that sucks. But how? Take us through that as well. How did he feel when the pick was made? And I think you've kind of come around to it a bit now. It's not that you hated it before, but well. I don't want to talk about Crosby today. I've I've done enough of that. Everyone knows my feelings on the situation. And as I said, I'm not going to apologise for defending a guy who I think has earned a start this year. I want to talk about Sewell. And I mean, at the end of the day, when the pick was made, it was the right pick to make, as much as I might begrudgingly say it because of him. But he's just, he's an amazing athlete. Some of the things that stick out for me, I mean, He's, he's a world-class athlete. He's got the speed, he's got the size you need, and he's got some of the cleanest footwork that you'll ever see on an offensive line from a tackle. But the one thing I absolutely love about his game, it's the advanced understanding of his O-line play. He knows his assignments. He knows exactly what he needs to do every single play. You'll see him go to his first assignment. If he wins that, his head's up looking for the next guy. You know, what can he do for the team? What can he do to help the, you know, the game even better? And, you know, someone like that doesn't come along very often. Sometimes you get to your first assignment, they're not sure what to do after that. He's just got such an understanding of what he's doing. And, you know, at the end of the day, I'm not I'm not gonna complain. We've got we've got Decker, we've got Sewell, and you know, we've got Crosby backing them up. You know, we've got really good depth now. So you know, I'm not upset about it. I think he's a great player. So, yeah, I look forward to seeing how he does when he comes on the lines. But, yeah, there's so much to look forward to about him. Just how he reads the game is amazing. And he's going to make that line all the better for it. Yeah, completely agree. Tom, your thoughts on Saul? Just to follow up, I think it was definitely the right pick. I think it's interesting listening to Brad Holmes say there were three guys he had in mind and he didn't... He, he kind of gave a clue to one of them, which interesting was Trey Lance. So all our talk about Justin Fields beforehand, obviously Trey Lance was the, the guy who would have had quarterback in play. And he didn't mention the third, but let's assume it's Trevor Lawrence. So realistically, it was Lance and, and Sewell in play. So no wonder he was delighted when, when he dropped. Um, there was some... I guess, criticism or armchair criticism about not getting a playmaker. And I think we've touched on it. I think... Of all our picks, he's the biggest playmaker of the bunch. Um, and uh, like he doesn't score touchdowns, he's not going to get picks, and he's not going to get sacks. But he is going to make a lot of plays. If all goes to plan, obviously these things you never really know. Um, but the way he moves people in the run game, but the way he gets out in front of screens and things like that, there's going to be highlight real plays from him. And the value lined up perfectly. As Ryan mentioned, um, Brad talked about trading up for him. I, we'll get onto that a little bit later because I like the aggression in some ways. It also makes me a little bit nervous in future, especially with, with some stuff down the line. I think it shows some of the value of someone like John Dorsey, who hasn't been talked about at all this weekend. But you'd have to think it's someone like Dorsey and probably Ragnar as well, who was in his ear just saying, let's be patient with this. Let's see how it goes. Let's stay true to our board. So... I'm really excited by the player. I absolutely think it was the right pick. I'm glad we didn't move up for him. Um, so, yeah, all good. Yeah, I'm delighted we didn't move up for him, mainly because it's a rebuild, and we have to accept it's a rebuild and not give away draft capital where we don't have to. And they stayed true to that all the way through, even 
trading up in the fourth round didn't really cost us very much. So so we'll get on to that later. But for my part, when you look at Saul's tape, the thing that sticks out to me, or the two things that stick out to me, one, he's not perfect. He does make mistakes. But when he does, he's terrifically angry himself and he doesn't make the same mistake again. He actually learns. He actually thinks about what he's doing. He is engaged during every play. He's not on automatic pilot. And that's probably one of the biggest compliments I can give is that he is a thinking player. Definitely. He, he gets his head up and you can see that he's just processing it so quickly. The um, other part of it is, I think when I was looking at O-linemen throughout the whole draft, one of the things I was looking for was someone who can get to the second level and block. And there were a few players I was saying, this guy can get to the second level. And that was like a big plus. But this guy gets to the second level with regularity, often before, say, the slot cornerback has realized that there's something happening. He's, he's on them. You know, he's, he's moved four or five yards before these guys have realized what the play is. He's absolutely rapid for an O-lineman. And it brings so many things into play. It brings the swing game into play. It brings uh, lots of play-action stuff and all that sort of fun stuff that we can do, gadgety stuff. And with someone like Amon Ra on the team, who does a lot of the gadgety stuff, and that's one of the underrated parts of his game, those two are going to link up really, really nicely. I think it's one of the more underrated things in the draft. Right, I'm going to go over to Ant quickly for a quick explanation on what the O-Tech, 2-Tech, 3-Tech, whatever jargon that you hear, what that actually means before we get into our defensive tackles in rounds two and three. So Ant takes away now. Um, yeah, cheers for letting me do this really quickly. So I've just been, you know, over the last few days, I've been looking at the tape of, you know, the guys we've drafted here. And when it comes to the two defensive tackles on Wuzurike and McNeil, I was hearing terms about where they play on the line, you know, three tech, five tech. And to be fair, I had absolutely no idea what they were. So I've sort of gone and had a little look and tried to educate myself a bit on this. And I thought, well, maybe it might be all right for us to go through it on here just in case, you know, other people out there are not incredibly sure about what it means either. So with the tech system, in a nutshell, I'll go through it. So on your offensive line, obviously, you have your center, you've got your guards either side, your tackles either side of that. So if you flip that over onto the defensive line, this is where your tech numbers start to come into play and they work from the inside out. So if you ever hear a player described as a zero or a one tech guy, he's playing at nose tackle and nose tackle is the guy who plays traditionally right across from the center. He's facing him up right there. Moving out to your guards, you then have three more positions. You have the two eye tech, two tech and three tech. So what this means, if you're a two-eye tech, you are playing on the inside of the guard, basically between the guard and the center. If you're a two-tech, you're playing directly opposite the guard. And if you're a three-tech, you're playing on the outside of the guard on his shoulder. And then likewise with the tackles, you've got four-eye tech, four-tech, and five-tech. So four-eye is very similar. You're playing on the inside of the tackle between him and the guard. Four Four tech, you're playing opposite the tackle. Five tech, you're playing on the outside shoulder of the tackle. So just in reference to McNeil and Onwu Zarike, who are coming up, McNeil traditionally plays the zero or one tech role as a nose tackle. And Onwu Zarike, depending on the system you're playing, will be playing as a three tech or a five tech guy, meaning he'll be playing 
on the outside of the guard or the outside of the tackle, depending on whether we play 4-3 or 3-4. I just wanted to kind of try and clear that up. I hope it's not too complicated, but it depends where on the line they are. But if anyone's more a bit more technically gifted here than me and can eloquate it a bit better, feel free to. But that helped me a lot, just understanding where guys line up across the line. No, that's that's absolutely perfect, man. The larger the number, the further you are away from the centre is is the basic way of thinking at it. And and out, further outside of that, you've got your seven tech and your wide nine, and, and they're your edge players. So that that rounds off the line pretty nicely. And we'll move swiftly on then to pick forty one and Levi on Zarike. And my my nice little hint for how to pronounce this guy's name is take the woo out of his name and then say exactly what's there. On Zurique. I it like it's it, it should be harder, but it's not. So it literally just that on Zurique. Um he is a defensive tackle out of Washington. He played a lot of nose tackle in college. What a, straight over the center at zero technique or one technique. And this is because at Washington they had a mantra of just putting as many athletic guys on the field as they could. And it actually worked very, very well for them. There's lots of tape of, of Levi shifting along the line at the point of the snap and, and beating people inside against some really big guys, especially on double teams as well. He's particularly impressive at that. Uh, let's go straight to Tom and go in reverse order. Tom, what, uh, you've done a little bit on Levi. What, what do you think? Um, so ultimately coming out, he was a guy who was projected potentially as a late one. And we picked him up, what, nine, ten picks into the second. So the value's there. I love the fact we've got a penetrating three-tech. Um, in terms of Enzerike as a player, so I, I was really excited about him coming into the senior bowl. Um, he got injured after the first day or potentially sat out after the first day. I wanted to see a little bit more, and I actually soured on him slightly during the process. Um and I know we're going to talk about lots of positives about the Lions draft class, so I don't mind maybe just dipping a little bit lower. So I may be not as high on Anzarike as, as a lot of people are. I do love the fact that we're getting someone who's going to move us more towards one gapping. So I think as we talked about before and as people have obviously followed the Lions over this offseason, previously we played two gap system. Players on the defensive line have to control two gaps. We're moving now to a more penetrating one gap scheme. We don't really have guys who can do that. So I love the investment in the D-line. Um, obviously, fans talking about, we've already got depth there. Our D-line was sorted. Why are we putting players there rather than wide receivers? But realistically, if you look down our previous depth chart, especially guys who we think are going to be here past this season, there was not much there. It was There was bodies, but there wasn't real talent. Now, Anzariki has a chance to be a really special player, which is exciting. I think he's quite boom-bust. Um, in that it could very much go one or two ways, but super explosive. He's got a brilliant first step. Um, when he does get out of his stance quickly, he can jolt back offensive linemen even when they think they have the step on him. So there's loads of really positive things. He's slightly underdeveloped as a pass rusher. He's relying a lot on athleticism, and that's partly um, to the point around him playing the zero tech and the one tech as a nose tackle. He hasn't needed that to the same degree. And actually, when I saw reps of him playing the three-tech, which he did do, which is where he will probably translate to the NFL, he would quite often just try and engage the guard up front, which isn't hugely helpful. We want someone who's going to pin their ears back, hit the gap, and try and work through. 
So he's slightly underdeveloped. I think the advantage is because we do have bodies this year and because we have guys like Trey Flowers who will take reps, he doesn't need to play 80% of our snaps year one. And I really don't think he will. I think he will come in as a situational guy and maybe play 50% of snaps this year. So I think there's lots to be excited about. It's probably, it's one of the few picks where I would have taken someone else. Um, but yeah, there's, there's lots of excitement um, for the future anyway. Just to qualify something for, say, some of the Brits who don't grow up with the game, talking about two-gap or one-gap system. So as far as I understand it, and correct me if I'm wrong, two-gap system is where a guy has to kind of stay pretty much up front with a lineman in front of him so that he can react either side of the person who's against him to stop him from getting through the gap. One-gap system, you're trying to get through that gap to plug it and and attack the quarterback or the, or the running back. Is that yeah exactly so if you let's just imagine it's a run play um if you are two gapping and let's say that you're over the center your responsibility is the gap on the left of the center and on the right of the center so traditionally you're going to be bigger and stronger because you need to manhandle the man in front of you and be able to move into both of those gaps so traditionally you're going to be bigger stronger not as fast um one gap in, in the name itself, your only responsibility is one of those gaps. And therefore you can be more aggressive in hitting it and trying to break through because you don't need to worry about the other gap. Traditionally, that's going to be filled by potentially another scraping defensive lineman, but more likely a linebacker. So it means you can be way more aggressive on the defensive front rather than just having to hold your position and almost play defensively on the defensive side of the ball. Makes a lot of sense. And how do you feel about Levi? You know what? I really like some of the tape I've seen on him now. Obviously, Tom's been through it a little bit there. Schematically at Washington, he was used a lot as a nose tackle, and he just isn't that. That's not his game. Um, on yeah, on Zarike, he's a guy who, you know, he likes shooting for gaps. You put him on the outside shoulders of guys, whether it's on the guard or the tackle, he loves going for those gaps and using that, using his athleticism to get to the quarterback. I love his hand movement. I love the leverage he gets on players. I think if you're going to be using him, you need to use him as that three-tech or five-tech guy. He is a disruptor who can cause a lot of problems to offensive lines if he is utilised properly. Now, the one big thing that stood out is pad level is a little inconsistent. Sometimes he goes too high and that just stops him right in his tracks. But you know, that's a coachable thing that you can get out of him. And I think, you know, with the right coaching in the right scheme, I think he's going to be a really good player. Like I say, he gets great penetration. But not only that, he keeps his eyes on the quarterback. There were several examples where even though he wasn't getting through on tackles, he was able to back passes down because his eyes were always on the quarterback and he was reading where the passes were going. So if he can't get at the QB, he can always help defending the pass as well. So I like the pick. I'm Maybe yeah, in the second round, that would probably be the place where there might be a few other guys I might have liked as well. But looking at him and McNeil coming up, I think we've got two very versatile guys who bring a lot of different things to the table and we're going to be able to rotate a lot. We're not going to, the linemen are not going to get worn out and we can bring lots of different packages to the table now. But I look forward to seeing him. I think he's going to be a real good guy. And I think, you know, he's going to get after the quarterback quite a lot, which we have lacked so much from our defensive line in recent years. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing him. All right. Ryan, how do you see the Levi pick? 
Yeah, I wouldn't pick. I think he'll look a lot different than he did in college. Frankly, Washington wasted his time having him as a one tech up on a centre because when you've got a guy that's athletic, you don't want him. Well, pardon my French. You don't want him pissing about, getting two hands, if fighting with the centre. You want him on the outside at three or four tech using his explosion. What I want to see is that he can learn how to not engage too much. He needs to learn how to get through the gap, not fight and use like say if he's used to a playing over the top of someone in the middle, he's going to be used to getting under pads, trying to move a guy. I want him to move away from that on the outside. I want him to see him get through the gap and round. So this is where I think his athleticism is going to show instead of his raw power. So I, I he's got a lot of potential. It's going to be interesting to see how he translates from what he's learned in college to what he's going to have to be used in the NFL because it's going to be quite different. But like I said, there is a potential boom or bust around him. But he's got the right attitude. He seems like he's a quite, seems like he's a likable guy. Like he's, he's got a good sense of bit. He's got, what from what I can see, he's got a good sense of humor. He's going to gel with the line as a whole. I feel, I feel like we're moving towards more of a forefront. I feel like we're going to keep those two. He's going to potentially be on the outside. You're going to have McNeil in the middle. Like I say, you've got your, your edges in Flowers and potentially Romeo. So I feel like he's going to be someone that wants to get in the backfield. And when you give him less to think about, just one gap to hit, he's going to be more effective. Yeah, is that how you see it, Steve? Yeah, I, I don't think I could sum up better the, the player than the boys have done. I you know, think they've done an excellent job of just like breaking down what he's going to give us. So I think from my point of view, I'll just talk a bit about how, how I felt from a situational point of view at, at that point in the draft. Um, and this was probably like the point where I was most annoyed with the pick initially. But um, I think I've very much come around on, on this because at the time that pick was made, I think we were, uh, it was the 41st pick. So we're ninth in the second round. Um, you know, you still had players like Trevon Moreg, the safety, JOK, the linebacker, uh, Asante Samuel Jr., the corner. So there was some real kind of like round one talent still on the board. And, I was very much anticipating that's where we were going to go because we've got so many gaps, as has been said before. But then I think you, you look at the reaction of Brad Holmes in the in the draft room. He looked absolutely, he looked as delighted with this pick as he did with Penny Sill. And then you think, okay, Brad's coming from the Rams. What's the defensive scheme that's worked at the Rams in terms of like you know how they've got their defense at the quarterback? Their pressure doesn't come from the edge. It comes straight up the middle with Aaron Donald from defensive tackle. And I think that's what he's trying to recreate in Detroit, trying to get that pressure on the interior as well as the out, uh, exterior. So we're a bit less predictable in terms of pass rush. And I think he thinks he's found a player. You know, I'm, I'm not comparing him to the next Aaron Donald, but you know, Brad Holmes obviously feels that he's going to bring something completely different to the defense because let's face it, we have generated zero pressure from the inside. I mean, we've barely generated any pressure from the outside, but literally nothing from the middle. So I, I, now that I have a bit of time to sleep on it, now that I've kind of done my homework and watched a bit of the tape, this guy is rapid, like really rapid and explosive. And I think he's going to give us something extra. And I think... Actually, this could be like, uh, you know, a sleeper pick for the best pick of of the draft for us. 
Yeah, could well be. I'm not going to add anything further to him as a player, but as a man, I'm going to take this from Dane Bugler's um, The Beast draft guide, which is fantastic. And if you do subscribe to The Athletic and you want to find out more about your draft players, I can't recommend it enough. Just saw this gem as I was looking through today to, to swat up for this. He had a 3.7 GPA in high school. He was drawn to Washington for the academics as much as the football program. He graduated with a degree in sociology with one of the highest GPAs on the team. Uh, and then it also goes on to say that he was sidelined for much of the week of the senior bowl due to injury, which might explain some of the poor performance that, that Tom was talking about earlier. So this is going to be one of the smarter players on the team in terms of work ethic is clearly there. And, and Ryan alluded to his sense of humor. If you haven't seen his introductory presser from home, it, it's it's eight minutes that is well spent, uh, really, really well spent because a few F-bombs dropped and who doesn't love that? Um, right, let's move on to pick 72 in, in the third round and Aline McNeil, defensive tackle from North Carolina. Ants alluded to him earlier that he is a, a nose tackle. He was perhaps third on the defensive tackle board, but probably the best nose tackle on the board. It depends who you listen to, but it's, it's pretty close either way. Let's start with Ant on Alin McNeil. You know, I, I love this pick. Um, I did, uh, during our Pro Day segments, I had Aleem McNeil as one of the prospects to watch there because he'd been drafted so many times, you know, in the mocks to Detroit. But I genuinely think he has the potential ability to become our Kenny Clark, you know, the ferocious nose tackle that they have at Green Bay. Um, the thing is, is, for me, he's a run stuffer extraordinaire. This guy in the run game is an absolute beast. He eats up his blockers on the line. He collapses the pocket down and he gets straight into the running backs even before they reach the line of scrimmage. He can get at them and bring them down, tackles for loss. That was one of the things we really struggled with last year. So many teams worked their run game on us and we need someone in the centre of that defensive line who's going to say, right, this A-gap is now closed and you ain't going anywhere near it. And for me, you know, this is a really, really good pick. Now, don't... McNeil's main job, he's not going to rack up a load of sacks. In the past game, don't get me wrong, he's not going to be chasing after quarterbacks. He's, he's, he's a real big guy. He's not going to be running all over the field chasing them down, but that's not his job. He's not going to get flashy numbers, you know, tackles for last sacks, etc. His job is to bring others into play, and he'll do that by, as I say, getting on the blockers, collapsing the pocket and creating rushing lanes for linebackers, edge rushers to get through to quarterbacks. And he does it so well. His technique is really good. He adjusts in play if he's in a bit of an unfavorable situation. He can adjust mid-play, you know, to whatever he needs to. He's just such a dominant guy. He sheds tackles. And I think he's exactly what we need on this defense. We need guys who can defend the run. And I'm looking forward to seeing him play. I think he may take a little bit of time to adjust in, but I mean, man, we're going to have some really dominant players on this line. And given the state of the center groups in the NFC North this year, Corey Lindsley's gone. The Packers have got a new guy in there at center. I'm not really high on the Bears or Vikings guy. There's a few guys he's going to be able to bully this year and create us some opportunities to finally start getting through to quarterback. So with him, you've got a run stuffer who can collapse the pocket. And with Onzarike, you've got a dominant athletic guy who can get at the quarterback. I think they bring two entirely different sets of traits to the table and give us so much depth on this line. So I'm really looking forward to seeing him play. And I think, 
you know, he's got a big future in front of him for us. Yeah, yeah. Ryan, how do you feel about him? I love this pick. This guy, he, he, he understands now why we got rid of Danny Shelton. Because no disrespect to Danny Shelton, there was no aggression, there was no penetration. It was just a big blob that swallowed things up. It just bulked up the middle. But McNeil brings penetration. He's going to, like I say, he's going to collapse the pocket. He's going to try get into the backfield when he can. He's going to try to wrap up. And more importantly, is he's going to take on, like I said, more than one gap. And he's going to free big holes up for the like of Derek Barnes, who we'll get on later. Because he's going to love McNeil behind, in front of him, I think. This guy has got some sort of, he's just got it about him. He's going to be the guy that won't put up numbers. You might not always call his name, but you know he's there. He's disrupting things in the middle. He is going to be able to take advantage of these uh, new, fresher rookie O-line in the NFC North. They're going to have a big job on their hands dealing with him. I've seen clips of him. He played running back. He played linebacker in high school. This guy is athletic for someone that's of his stature. So he is going to deceive people. And I, I think it's an excellent pick with good value. I read somewhere, I think the Eagles were really upset. They wanted to trade. And they wanted to pick him up, and there was a bit of an argument in their war room when he when he landed at us. So I think that tells us that we've got a good one. Yeah, yeah. The, I haven't seen the the vid video, but I have heard Eric Schlitt talk about it on the Breakdown podcast, and it sounds hilarious because the Eagles are picking the pick before us or two picks they, before they us, had, and they, they yeah. had seventy, and then they traded to seventy three. Yeah, and they were they were the least enthusiastic about Milton Williams that he picked a pick later, another defensive tackle. Uh, I think the general manager gave a fist bump and then they all started basically crying. This is what I'm hearing anyway. Um, Steve, how do you feel about McNeil? Yeah, the, the, the Harry Roseman, the uh, GM, was going around giving fist bumps, but it was clear that the fist bumps were, uh, weren't really, they didn't really want to reciprocate them. And then he got to the last guy, the, like a, an older guy in the corner, and the guy just kind of like turned his back on him. And yeah, it was it was pretty clear the, the atmosphere in there you could cut with a knife. And, you know, obviously that's that's something about McNeil that is, is obviously special enough to, to provoke that reaction. Um, <clears throat> you know, all I'd say is that, remember when I was just saying that we couldn't generate any pass rush inside or outside? Well, guess what? We couldn't stop the run last year either. Uh, we gave away 27 touchdowns against the run, which was the worst in the entire league. We gave up over 2,000 rushing yards, which was fifth worst in the league. We need someone who is going to plug those gaps. We need someone that is going to do what you know we hoped Snacks would do, but mate, you know he showed flashes, but you know didn't really have a good full season ever. Um, and we hope that McNeil is going to be the guy that absolutely shuts down the running backs. We've got to play Aaron Jones twice. We've got to play Dalvin Cook twice. Even the Bears ran on us last year. Hopefully, McNeil is going to be the answer to that. Yeah, is that how you feel, Tom? Yeah, I mean, he, like predominantly, he is a nose tackle by trade, um, but he's another elite, elite athlete. And um, in 2019, he still had five and a half sacks. And I think last year, his PFF grade for, for pass rushing was around 80 as well. So he can still push the pocket. He didn't have much from a technical standpoint, but because he is so explosive and because, like you say, if we can get him over one gap, he'll need to two gap as, as well because that's what the nurse tackle um, needs to do. But I really think he's going to be he's going to be a problem affecting all three downs. So 
yeah, really like the pick. I think the value lines up perfectly. Again, the, the Eagles video, everyone should go and watch it. It's amazing. It's like that kind of awkward guy at a party that no one wants to speak to who's going around trying to give fist bumps. It's they, they were absolutely devastated. And you can see it from their standpoint too, with the Lions having just taken a tackle. The chances of them coming back and getting another, they obviously thought there was no chance. So Brad Holmes already making enemies in the in the NFL. But very excited about this. Um, he will need to develop. I think he will play more um, start snaps and more snaps than Levi, which is fine because of the position. I think what it does tell us, there was two guys in the predicted scheme um, in the front seven that didn't really fit, um, or two roles, I guess. So Trey Flowers um, isn't really a three technique, and John Penasini isn't really a one-gapping uh, nose, nose tackle. Both these picks address those two problems. So Trey Flowers is good enough that he will still play the three technique and three and play it well, but he's probably not long for the franchise with his contract. Um, and sadly, for fans of Penasini, this is this isn't great news. And it probably checks out with what we what we thought going in, which was he isn't a natural fit for this kind of system. I think he will probably still get snaps, but he's a guy who may not even be on the team week one of the season. And not that he's a bad player, but um, with McNeil coming in, I could see him just taking all of those snaps from him. Yeah, yeah, that's how I see it as well. The, the natural one gapper, who I think was actually learning to two gap in college, is a lot better fit than Penasini, who was a two gapper, trying to learn to one gap. It's like, I think that's how Schlitt put it in the, in the breakdown podcast, and I'm going to try and do better with him than that. Uh, just on McNeil, when you speak about explosion, uh, Onzerike has been spoken about for his explosion and how athletic he is at the position. But McNeil has a faster 10-yard split. I mean, that's amazing. And when you think about it on the on the offensive line, you don't care about their 40-yard dash. They're not going to run 40 yards. It's not happening. But those 10-yard splits, how quickly you can get off the line is probably one of the more important stats. And McNeil is up there with the fastest in this class, despite his size, and he was recruited as a linebacker as well. It wasn't just he played running back and linebacker at high school. He was recruited as a linebacker and transitioned during college. So this guy's got it. The pick six is worth watching too. I don't know if you guys have seen the tape on that, but gets some pressure, gets his hands up, manages to catch the ball, and then out sprints the, the, uh, the O-line and the running back. It's fantastic. So, you know, we've got a real one there, keeps his head up, lots of intelligence as well. One consistent thing all the way through this is that the guys are smart as well as being physical. So, you know, they've got both of those aspects, and I hope that translates to them being coachable because some of them do need work, but not as much as you might be led to led to think from other people. Right, we're going to move to the bottom of the third round, pick 101, and it's far too Melifonru, and another one for the pronunciation crew. And for me, this is just about breaking it into the syllables of the name, because if you just try and break it up into those little chunks, it's not too bad. Ifatu Melifonwu. It's quite nicely, it was very Nigerian in the terms of how the syllables are just quite straightforward in terms of how it's said. So Ifatu Melifonwu. Runs off quite nicely. A cornerback from Syracuse, he is very tall. Very, very tall. Uh, explosive. I saw uh, one play of him coming on a corner blitz, and he is there before the ball arrived, uh, so before the quarterbacks even looked up. Um, he is raw. Uh, I will go to Steve first for a far two. How are you feeling on this one? 
Yeah, I think um, we were all very concerned about the secondary um, and the fact I, I kind of, you know, I wondered that if we did trade down, it would be for a Patrick Sertain or a Caleb Farley. Um, so I, I think drafting a corner um, was something that we definitely wanted to see, maybe not day one, but certainly like on day two. So I think this was like a really much needed pick. And this was one where, you know, I might have been a bit sort of raised eyebrow on the on you know, the defensive lineman when when the they came off the board. But with this one, it was very much a smile on my face when when they made it because he's got a reputation as being super tough. Um, you know, the tape on him is is pretty good. I think he maybe could draw some penalties, but you know, we we've got Aaron Glenn incoming. If this guy can't coach him to you know um be ready for the nfl and to be a starter then no no one can so i'm really positive about this i think this is a a, a good win for us let's go with tom next so when i was going through the draft um i like to just say the picks i would have taken as we go down um sewell i well not obviously but sewell i would have picked the same as the lions this was the other pick where i would have taken exactly the same player as the lions did um Mostly from a value standpoint, it's not that I'm super, super high on Melifonru, but he's a guy who he was talked about as potentially even a late one, but really a second round pick. And the traits are outstanding. So as you mentioned, he's 6'3", he's 213 pounds, he's an elite athlete. Um, he almost, his physical, his physical um, measurables don't really match up with the player. And what I mean by that is, he looks almost like a, a safety in build and he's, he's a big imposing corner who can run. Normally with those kind of guys, they're going to be people who have played almost predominantly press man in college um, and guys who are going to struggle with their fluidity, with their transitions, with their hips. And he doesn't have any of that. You almost want to look at him and say, oh, he's a press man corner. He's not. I think he can be. That's not his skill set. And actually... I'm slightly worried about him coming in year one and being asked to do that. If you watch him at the senior bowl, he got turned around quite a lot when he was up on the line because he hasn't done it before. I think he's played under 200 snaps in press. So what he does have is incredible agility for his size and ability to mirror guys. Um, and he's played a lot of zone. So he's rounded and he has all the physical tools to be a great man cover guy. Um, there was some talk about him going to safety because obviously the Lions clearly have a, neat, a gap there. Brad Holmes said in his press conference he thinks he can. I don't think they'll go anywhere near that up front. I think they want him to play corner. Um, despite his size, he's actually not particularly physical. He can be and he flashes physicality, like say coming on corner blitzes and making hits, but he's not consistently physical as you'd want a safety to be. And actually, I don't think he's going to be as physical as Oru Warrior or Akuda to start out. So he's going to need to pick that up. And um, only downside from me, and it's not really a downside for his size. He is fast. He ran a four, four, eight. However, we now have three physical outside guys who are all really four, five guys. We don't really have someone who can carry speed down the field. Now, if we are going to play a lot of cover two, that's okay because you can man up and then have a safety over the top. Um, 
I do worry slightly around how we're going to defend speedy guys. We saw it last year, and admittedly, Okuda struggled last year in general, but speed caused us problems. It will be interesting in training camp when we have guys like Rashad Perriman, guys like Tyrell Williams who run 4-2s, low 4-3s, whether we see that become an issue because Melifon was not going to help us kind of carry a guy with 4-3 speed down the field. Yeah, and how are you feeling on this one? Um, initially, when all the picks were made, and I was looking down the list of the list of guys we got. This was the one that stuck out to me as one that I was maybe a little bit concerned with, not for any particular reason, but corner I was maybe a bit skeptical with um, going with. But I've I've having looked at the tape and I've looked at a fair bit of tape of him over the last few days. I very quickly started to like him and what he can potentially bring to the table. I don't like, you know, the player he is now, but I like what I think he can become. And for me, some of the biggest things I saw are some of the greatest needs we have in our secondary. I think in coverage, as long as he keeps the man in front of him, I think he's excellent. But the thing that really stood out for me is his tackling ability. Now, how sick and tired did we all get last year of seeing missed tackles, broken tackles, you know, we just couldn't tackle to save our lives. But what Melifonwu can do for me, it's his tackle selection. Depending on the situation he's in, he knows exactly the right type of tackle to make. So on tape, when he was against speedy guys, um, he would wrap them up. Because sometimes if you tackle them, they go back a bit. They'll just carry on going due to the speed. He will wrap them up and stop them going in any further. If they're big guys, he gets down low and takes them at their legs so that they get brought down. He doesn't just try and meet them head on and get bundled out the way of it. If he's covering screen passes, his closing speed is rapid. He gets there and he just hits the man as hard as he can so he goes nowhere. And I really like that trait about him his ability to make the correct call when it comes to his tackle selection. Because, my God, I was sick and tired of watching his blow tackles last year because guys just weren't doing it properly. So I think, you know, if he is coached properly and put in the right system, he's going to provide a, an upgrade in this backfield over some of the other guys. So I'm actually quite happy about this one now. And he's decent in the run game as well. There were several instances I saw of running backs who burst through. He was the last man. And again, he got the tackle imperfectly to be able to stop them taking it to the house. So I'm interested to see how he develops. I think he'll probably be a rotational guy first year, but I think he will offer us something straight away just for his ability to bring guys down, which we so desperately need. Yeah. Yeah. Ryan, how are you feeling on this one? Uh, mixed emotions, to be honest. I don't trust him, as Tom said. I don't trust him in cover one. At the line of scrimmage, he seems like he could potentially be a liability if he's going to let anyone get behind him. He's going to have to learn his trade working inside out because I don't want to necessarily put him straight on the outside and throw him to the wolves. He's probably the most direct competition we have to Armani. Like I say, he's the one that's going to worry about him applying his trade. He's got the, he's got the, the build for safety. Like I say, that doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to flourish there if he's potentially moved. Like I say, he has got, he's played a few different positions. He's obviously got the IQ that he can work in nickel, he can work outside, he can come down. Like I say, if he's in a cover three, he's got the size and speed. So coming down, he's got that closing speed to play the run if needs be. I just think this is the kind of perfect player that Aaron Glenn was crying out for. Just kind of give me a project, give me someone thing to work with, some size some speed and let me see what I can do with him. 
Because like I say, his tackling ability makes up for a lot of it because of this team for years has missed so many tackles. And Akudo, I'd say last year, was a great tackler when he was healthy, but that wasn't very often. And there was tackles blown all over the field. So this is someone that is going to start rotating in gradually, give him a reduced workload. And I think eventually he'll be able to get up to game speed in the NFL. Like I say, we know it takes corners, maybe two, three years to actually learn how to play at the next level. But I think we're going to give him a lot of time. And he comes from learning a good system as well, because a lot of his teammates were drafted, so they've built a good unit. So he brings a good pedigree to the league. Yeah, yeah, just a little bit on the on the beast from him as well. He has elite explosion. Uh, he had the second highest vertical leap of any of the cornerbacks at 41 and a half inches and a broad jump of 11 foot two, which is incredible. I think there's only one of four to break 11 foot. So that's insane. I mean, I can only do six and a half, but I've discovered this in my own training. So, you know, it's pretty, pretty disgusting. Um, uh, yeah, let's let's move on to round four and pick 112. And we discovered during waiting for pick 112 that we'd actually traded up pick 113 as well, which was particularly exciting. I'm going to clip that bit just because we're our reaction's pretty good. Um, but Amon Rasent Brown, uh, there's probably some middle names in there as well. I know his brother Equinemius, as we mentioned for the title of this show, plays for Green Bay, his older brother. And I know that his older brother actually has the middle name Imhotep as well so they're really going hard on the egyptian god names um wide receiver at usc and i'm going to kick this one off he i've watched his tape earlier today uh, a little bit more than i had done before and what stuck out to me is that he's pretty consistent uh in terms of running his routes well he has a few soppy moments here and there but he gives the same energy most of the time all the way through he has a little bit of a drop problem but he lines up all the way along the line. He can play flanker. He can play uh, inside out. He loves his little gadget kind of runs. He can do the jet sweep. He lines up at running back. He plays with a great little twitch and hesitation to beat guys um, tracking him. Shows a good intelligence for the play and kind of waiting for the opportunity to make break. He does lack home run speed, so... I don't think you're going to see him as a burner over the top, which is probably one of the reasons why I see him starting at slot for us. There's an obvious role there for him with no obvious other starters. So I, I, that's how I see him fitting into our scheme. Let's kick back off with Ryan. How do you see Amon Rafing in? I agree. I also say I'm pretty sure they've got a brother called, and they've got a sibling called Osiris. So there's a whole Egyptian thing going on there, which I love. Uh, I saw a quote today from my quarterback from college, Jaden Daniels from Arizona State, and he said, from what he's seen of him, he goes, he's a first down waiting to happen on every player, which tells me he's someone that knows he's down in distance. He knows where the line to gain is. He runs his routes well. He will sit around that area if needs be. Like I said, he won't take the roof off your defence. He's not that fast. He's big. He's like, say he's nearly 6'2", so he's, he's got a bigger build than you'd usually put in the slot. But he's going to learn his trade from the inside and work out. Potentially, he's got, could be a one-day, could be an outside receiver. He has come from a good system. He played with Keaton Slovis, a good quarterback. He's very trusted. He's got good hands. And like I say, he's able to take the handoffs. He will do the trick plays. You can use him on the jet sweep. You'll put him on a reverse if needs be. 
If you get the ball in his hand, he's going to make something happen. He's a short to medium guy that will hopefully try to get some yards after the coverage. I think he's, he's, he will cry out for a wide receiver in this draft. And I think that he fell to the fourth was just really solid value pick. Yeah, how do you feel about Amon Ra, Steve? Yeah, I mean, in terms of the picks, this could be one of the most important because it's a position that we probably have not only the most depth at, but the most kind of fragility in terms of the people that are on the roster. Um, oh, you know, when you when you read up on St. Brown, there's, I mean, I think his dad was Mr. Universe or a Mr. Universe contestant. So, twice, um, Mr. Universe yeah. twice. Um, I, I saw a, a picture. He, he he looked a big fella, um, and there's a lot of talk about you know his physicality, his toughness at USC. Um, I just want to point out, you know, we we're not the Baltimore Ravens. We don't draft wide receivers just to block, um, and you know. But you, I've also seen that he's one of the best contested ball catchers in in college football in the last couple of years. Um, and there's been some comparisons to like, you know, Golden Tate for his ability to run routes and, and make contested catches. So I'm kind of positive on this. I think it, it feels like a great value pick. But I think out of all the picks, this is the one that like we really have to see, get this guy to develop. Because if this guy turns out to be a bust, it leaves us thin. Yeah, yeah, it really does. Um, Brugler had him as a second or third round picks and having him in the fourth does sound like good value. Tom, how are you feeling on Amon Ra? Yeah, you've touched on it. The value there is great. Um, Despite the pedigree of his dad, his family, his name, I don't think he's going to turn into a superstar. I think he's actually a lower ceiling player than some of the guys out there, but relatively high floor, which is fine as the first building block of our our new wide receiver room for the future. Um, Steve, you mentioned Golden Tate, seeing comparisons to Cooper Cup and Robert Woods, obviously from the Rams as well. The guy that I saw when I watched him, and he's about 15, 20 pounds lighter in fairness, but actually is another USC slot receiver from a few years ago, is Juju He's not afraid to get football. He is not the most explosive guy in the world, but knows how to win. Um, and I could see uh, Alan Ra having a similar kind of impact as that. I don't think he's ever going to be a number one receiver, and I don't think he's... I, I would be amazed if he became a superstar receiver. I think there are other guys with a lot more upside. I think he can become a really nice player, though, and someone who can grow with um, with a future quarterback. So, yeah, I, I wouldn't say I'm mega excited, but I'm really happy at the same time, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, definitely makes a lot of sense. Just the little tidbit from the guy. It says that he's fluent in three languages. I'm pretty sure he took the SATs in all three languages, which is German, French, and English. So intelligence showing. Super smart guy. And whilst that could sound like he'd be easy to say, well, that doesn't matter, it's football. Um, Actually, coming out of the slot, and it's not necessarily about being book smart, but intelligence for football intelligence is really important because you're going to have to read defences know when to sit down in your zones, make option routes and things. So there's a lot more to the receiver position than just run straight ahead, catch a ball, score a touchdown, like some might think, and especially in the slot. That level of intelligence is actually really important. Mm, yeah. By Danny Amendola. Yeah, yeah, Danny Amendola had the brains to get to the first down marker and sit, turn and say, look, I'm open. He's going to have to do that on like third down, second down. He needs to know when to stop and just take what's given to him. I think he's got that smart. Yeah, and any thoughts on Amon Ra? 
Um, yeah, I've I loved watching Amon Ra's tape. In fairness, I mean, a lot's been said already. I agree with Tom. He's not going to become a superstar, but he schematically is going to become a very important player for somebody. Now, the thing that steps out about him, it's his agility, which is absolutely off the chart. You mentioned he doesn't have the elite speed, but he doesn't need it. Watching his tape time after time after time, he is a guy who just gets separation because of his agility. He sells fakes like a pro. There were so many times he was offering a route out and then he was breaking back inside, going down the line. Defenders didn't know what to do with him, but that ability also gives him, you know, it gives him the ability to get open quick, which I think Jared Goff's going to love. It doesn't take him long to get away from his man because he can just fool them with his agility. And I absolutely love that aspect of him. He's got strong hands, so he can make the contested catches in the slot in the middle of the field if he wants to. And for us, I think he could become a really good option. I do love his ability to just be able to fool defenders because it means teams are going to have to think about it. If he breaks that first man, they're going to have to prepare for him at the second level. So I like that. There are a few issues. His blocking is an issue, but given the coaches he's with here, they're soon going to mould that into him if he wants to play. And he does have some catch drop issues as well. But we've seen with TJ, we've seen with Cephas, we can teach that out of people. So I'm actually quite looking forward to seeing him in that slot role. As I say, I think he just gives us something in terms of separation that we've not had in quite some time. And I really look forward to seeing him. Yeah, you speak to his agility, and I'm just looking through this guide to try and find someone similarly agile. And the person most similar to him in terms of the short shuttle and three cone times is Kadarius Tony. He's basically exactly the same time. So if you think about Tony and that he's described as this gadget guy who's getting the ball and he's going to juke past defenders, but this guy's got exactly the same sort of agility. So it depends on how you want to use him, right? But Tony went a good three rounds higher. So absolute steal if we can use him right. Let's move on to the second to last pick. Pick immediately afterwards, 113. We received it in a trade, also receiving back pick 257, which was our last pick of the night. And we had to give up our round five pick and a round four pick next year. Yeah. So Derek Barnes, linebacker from Purdue. And let's go straight back to Ant for thoughts on Derek Barnes. His is the tape I've enjoyed watching the most. Again, it's something we've lacked for so long but the first thing you see is just his pace off you know off the snap I mean so many times he finds a gap and he just shoots through it at pace he hits hard whether it's sacking a quarterback hitting a running back hitting a receiver the second they've got the ball his closing speed is absolutely tremendous and I'm going to get this point in here before Ryan does because he mentioned it very briefly earlier but a guy like McNeil who's going to open up running lanes in the middle Derek Barnes is going to love that he's going to shoot through them and get after quarterbacks and I think that is going to be potentially a very good tandem to watch going forward but I just love, I've just loved all I've seen about him because, again, it's one thing we've suffered with, you know, closing speed. You know, guys getting passes, having far too much time to decide what they're going to do, where they're going to go. This guy just doesn't give you any time whatsoever to think he's on you before you've even had a time, before you've even had time to think about what you're going to do. And he will bring you down hard. So I'm really looking forward to seeing him this year. And I'm hoping that he's able to exploit the gaps which our new D-linemen are going to create for him. So he looks like a great pick on paper and one of the most exciting ones I'm looking forward to seeing. 
Yeah, let's go to Ryan now. Derek Barnes. Yeah, I, I love this pick. I've been watching footage on him uh, most of the day. I think <clears throat> I'm going to give a player comparisons like anyone. And when I look at him, I see Matt Milano. He's got the same kind of build and he has the pursuit speed. Pursuit is one thing Detroit lacks. We can flush a quarterback or a running back out of the pocket, but we cannot chase them from behind. And what I've seen from his film is he has two things. He has the angle. He's got the cleverness to not overshoot, doesn't undershoot. If a quarterback is running to try to get out of bounds, he will maybe he'll get there and he will wrap up and bring them down. So he his side to side agility going east to west is better than his north to south player. And that is something that is going to be tremendous, like I say, because we are going to have to get after athletic quarterbacks like Justin Fields. This guy is going to be someone that could neutralize his effect of being able to escape the pocket. I'm going to make a prediction that he's going to be a star. I think he could start this Detroit defense on potentially day one. He's a bit undersized. He's going to play inside linebacker because he's just over six foot. But Purdue's a good school, so he's got good, yeah, good grades. He's bright. He's got a strong IQ. And I think he surprised a lot of people. No one expected when you looked at the linebackers and that were on the board that this guy was going to pick. No one even really knew who he was. But all you have to do is look at his footage to see he calls north and south quickly. He sees a hole, he hits it, you know, meet the running back, and he wraps up. I've seen him tackle people on his own so easily, wait for backup. We don't need it. He's already stopped them. So there's no more getting the first down on the, like, say, forward progression. He stops them hard, and then he waits for the backup to come in, and that's all we need. So I can't wait to see him. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I saw that on tape as well, the, the pursuit speed. But one thing I do find interesting from his pro day was he did all of the drills, apart from the three cone. But instead of trying to make up some injury like they all kind of do at this point, he just decided not to do it and openly said, oh, I just don't want to do the three cone. So you would think that considering the east to west speed, that the three cone would be something he was really strong in. So I find that choice curious, but... Maybe he was carrying an injury of some kind. I'm not sure. Steve, how are you feeling on Derek Barnes? Well, I think as, as someone from uh, the moment that Roger Goodell emerged on Thursday, I was kind of saying under my breath, please draft a lineback. Please, God, draft a lineback. Uh, backer. And, you know, so this this was like pushing an open door in terms of getting my approval for this. Um, you know, I like what I see in his, um, you know, relative athletic scores. You know, this is a... Th- 238 pound guy that can do the 40 yard in 4.58 seconds so yeah he has absolutely got that closing speed um you know 29 on the bench which is like you know great to elite um a great vertical i mean this guy sounds like a problem i've seen a bit bit of the tape and yeah he absolutely has the potential um but going back to other picks what this guy need is he needs coaching um, and he need, you know, we we've seen. Uh, I don't really want to give much time to talking about Jared Davis, but you know, a, a classic guy who on paper looked absolutely fantastic and certainly looked the part, but just didn't seem to be able to do it on the field, and and just time and time again made terrible mistakes, terrible decision decision making, and missed a lot of tackles. So. Um, Let's let's see what how the, the the Aaron Glenn can coach and and get the best out of out of this guy because it could be great. And you, Tom? 
So the player, he does have some Jared Davis to him in terms of play style. The player he reminded me most of when I watched his film was Michael Parsons. And I don't say that to say he should be a top 10, top 15 pick. He shouldn't be, but they're similar players. So for all the guys who fancy Parsons in a, in a Lions jersey, this is a guy from an edge background who's explosive. He hits hard. He's got great vision in the run game, which is something Jared Davis didn't have. Um and he's still relatively raw in coverage, which I personally thought Michael Parsons was as well. So um, he definitely needs more time, especially in coverage. I would not want him manned up on anyone right now. Um, but I see them grooming him this year for, for when Jamie Collins moves on. And I think that's, that's positive because there were other linebackers throughout the draft who were sitting there, but probably sat more in that coverage mold. Um, he's a more like-for-like fit probably with Jamie Collins as someone who can uh, play the mic and also be the play caller for that defense. I wouldn't be surprised to see him year one actually play um, play on the outside as well. So quite often with the Rams scheme, right? They have three down linemen and then an edge on one side, but also a linebacker edge kind of hybrid. Um, you saw that with Samson Ebukam back with the Rams. Wouldn't surprise me if that's how Barnes got on the field early in year one, because I don't think they're going to trust him in coverage as much. And there was talk about him playing that second linebacker role next to Jamie Collins instead of Anzalone. I just don't think he's probably there yet from a coverage standpoint, but we'll, we'll see through training camp. He's going to offer on special teams as well. So overall, I think the player is really exciting. To go back to something I touched on earlier with Brad Holmes being aggressive this is where I had a bit of a problem with it, to be honest, which is moving up 40 picks in the draft. I just, I don't think the value is necessarily there. I think if you listen to his press conferences throughout, um, throughout the end of day, he wanted to move up for Sewell, but he was told to stay or he was advised maybe to sit and wait. And he did. He wanted to move up for um, Ozarike. And he sat and and the player arrived. Now, I'm not saying Derek Barnes would have stayed to 153. I think it's quite a high price to give up this year's fifth and next year's fourth, especially considering we're expecting to probably pick in the top 10, maybe the top five next year. Now, as you start day three, everyone gets to go home from their draft room, see who's on the board and really plan out the top of day three. I think that pick at the start of day three, top of round four is really valuable. It's more valuable than um, than maybe what the, the draft value chart would say. So personally, I really didn't like the fact that we gave up a fourth and a fifth to draft him for a guy who's probably a circa fourth, fifth round player. Um, but at the same time, his tape is so much fun. He's going to be super easy to root for. So excited for the player. I just personally didn't like giving up the, the draft capital to get him. I think yeah. maybe... Sorry. Sorry, I was about to say, I think maybe you touched on the point there about him being groomed to replace Collins, but I know he was a team captain at Purdue, wasn't he? And I think, you know, we are lacking leadership in that part of the field. So if we have brought him in for his leadership ability as well, then maybe that's what Holmes is seeing, reaching up for him in the draft maybe a little bit. Yeah, and I think you're exactly right. He's clearly one of Holmes or whoever in the scouting department, but he's clearly one of their guys from that room. And if the player hits, it's great. If they don't, and you look back and say, we gave up a fourth and a fifth to get him, then that's where the problem goes in. So you've got to, I like the conviction to go and get him. Um, it just makes me <coughs> a little bit anxious as to how aggressive we're going to be to go get, 
kind of our guys in inverted commas. Yeah, yeah. and I, I think um, Green Bay took um, Isaiah McDuffie in the following round, um, like a, probably like 20, 30 picks afterwards so, um, from Boston. So I'd be really interested to see Adam McDuffie um, and our guy who makes the biggest impact next season. Yeah, just to finish up on him. So three years starter at Purdue, he was an inside linebacker in, in a 3-4 hybrid scheme. He initially started as an underclassman at outside linebacker or the Leo edge role, as Tom uh, kind of touched on, that he the sort of role he might play with us in year one. And then he moved to off ball and actually ended up at Mike. I think if you watch his highlights on YouTube, which obviously aren't representative, you'll see a lot of him as an underclassman at that Leo role because that's where he got a lot of his sacks. In 2019, he had seven and a half of them. But in 2020, in only half the number of games, but he had no sacks. He still led the team in tackles in 2020 from the off-ball position. But he's not great in man, as has been highlighted before. So it's going to be interesting to see what role he takes up. I think he's going to be a core special team at worst. So that puts his floor pretty high for us, I think. Okay, let's move on to our final pick. Third to last pick of the draft, Jamar Jefferson, the running back from Oregon State. And this was one I actually looked up earlier to find that he had a fourth to fifth round grade on this Bible uh, that I'm looking at here. And if you've seen his press conference, he is, I mean, he's angry when he's being picked. Are you happy to be here? Aren't you grateful to be drafted is basically the implication of the questions he's been asked by several people all in a row. And you can tell he's trying to keep it all together saying, man, I should have been drafted in the third. He had a, higher opinion of himself than maybe some of the other GMs did, but maybe they had a lower opinion of him than some of the media guys did, and maybe that was propping up his expectations. But if you have a look at his tape, he has a terrific hesitation to him and an ability to see the field. He hasn't got the home run speed. Same with Amon Ra. I don't think you're going to see him break for a touchdown from 60, 70 yards. I just don't think that's going to be his thing. But he reliably finds gaps in the D-line inside and outside as well, actually. And he's got a great sidestep to him. On some of the guides that uh, we've seen in uh, one of the videos that Ant put out there, someone rated him as the number two running back in the class, which I think is running away with it somewhat. But, you know, there, there are some differing opinions out there. He has some really, really good tape. Let's, let's start off with Ant and see what you think about our new running back. It's interesting because he's he's been stuck in my mind a while because I watched the Oregon Oregon State game um, at the back end of last year and he rushed for 226 yards and two touchdowns in that game and by no means were the Ducks a bad side that year you know they were pretty good so this wasn't low level opposition he was going up against and as you say the thing that stands out with him it's his vision. His vision is as good as his movement. So when he's running through the line of scrimmage, he's, you know, picking out where he's going. He's not just running in blindly, hoping that, you know, he hits a hole. He's looking where he's going. His movement, he can adjust very quickly to where he needs to go. And for a guy who you're picking up in the second, in the seventh round, you know, I think he offers a lot of upside for you. I think, you know, he was that dangerous, you know, in play that teams, the linebackers, the safeties, they were all keeping their eyes on him 
So when it came to play fakes at times, when they thought they were handing it off, they were watching him. Other guys were getting free. So he was getting almost assists in that way just because of the effect he was having on opposing defences. So, you know, I would actually like to say I did call a running back in the seventh in my mock. I know I didn't get any picks right, but I thought there were a lot of guys back there who offer you, you know, potentially good value for rounds in there. I think I picked, oh, who the hell did I pick now? I think I might have picked Rakeem Boyd in the mocks, actually, but I like the pick again. I think, you know, it's it's low risk, but what I've seen of him in college and on tape, I think he can surpass where we got him at. I think he's a short yardage guy for now. He's one of those, he, he always seems to be able to find those short yards. So, like, in your four-minute drills where you're trying to hold on to possession, trying not to give it away, he's the guy you turn to there. And I think over time he could become a reliable option, you know, with us going forward, obviously carry on's out of contract this year and his blocking ability is actually pretty decent. See on the tape, he knows how to block. He knows how to provide protection to his quarterback. So if carry on's not the future, he could easily take over that running back three spot and provide us with something going forward. So yeah, another one that I, I like as a flyer in the seventh. How about you, Tom? Yeah. So I think he was saying, or the reason he came out was because he was expecting to be a third, fourth round pick. His athletic profile, just there was no way that was going to happen. So I think he's a 27th percentile athlete, something like that. He's he's way down compared to um, what you'd ideally want. Um, but as Ant touched on, his, his vision is, I don't want to say kind of elite, but it's really, really, really good. <laughs> really, really, really good. Um, and I think when you look at what we've done up front, there should be gaps, there should be holes. But this is the guy where if someone misses a block, I feel like he is going to be able to create something out of nothing. And not say our other running backs can't at all. I think Swift is, is similar in that way. But um, from a pure vision standpoint, again, he's not going to set the world on fire, but he is going to pick up yards. If he flames out, he's the third last pick in the draft. You're basically just taking the undrafted free agent that you most wanted and making sure you get him. Um, so I'm fine with it. I'm not expecting massive things. Um, Brad Holmes and the Rams had a tendency to pick up running backs and spend draft capital on running backs. So the fact that we've waited till the seventh to do it is a bit of a relief, especially that we know they wanted to go best player available throughout. Um, yeah, I mean, he, he's not a guy I would take, but if you are ever predicting picks at 257 in the draft, then you should go buy a lottery ticket because, you know, you're just not going to do it. Kay Johnson's a guy that I would have loved to have taken here because he fell all the way out and actually went to an undrafted free agent. But you can't complain with a seventh-round pick. No, I find the athleticism lack of interesting because he was a track star at school. He ran the 100 in 10.86 seconds. But that doesn't show up on the 40-yard dash where he ran a 4.56. So I don't get that. How can you run the 100 in such a fast time and not 40? It, it doesn't make any sense to me. And there's plenty of plays on tape of him kind of scoring 70-yard touchdowns, 80-yard touchdowns. Now, again, that's at the college level. It's not at the NFL level. But there's something there. He's just not twitchy. He's not explosive. He's If, if you look at someone like Amir Abdullah, who from a few years ago, who didn't have top-end speed as well, but was explosive in certain ways but didn't really have the vision Jamal Jefferson is kind of the other side of that which is he's not that twitchy and he's not going to make big jump cuts and things like that and shake people out of their shoes 
but he's going to see the gap, hit the hole and pick up yards. And he's actually sneaky physical for a guy who's not a big build. I think he's about 215, 5'10". He plays bigger than that. Again, he's not going to be running over people, but a bit like Swift who at 5'9", 215 as well. He's a smaller guy. Um, they can still play physical when they need to. And I think Jefferson shows that. How about you, Steve? Just just wincing at the mention of Abdullah. Uh, yeah, Abdullah was explosive. Well, when he was hit, the ball would explode out of his hands. Uh, that's, that's the Ab- Abdullah swear box and Jared Davis. All we need to do is get an Ebron mention then, and that's a hat trick of the uh, trifecta of dirty words. Um, I kind of didn't really understand this pick. I, I completely get Tom's point. This is like, you know, just a swing for the fences and see what happens. Uh, I just kind of thought running back, if we were going to do that, let's do it on a wide receiver or let's just, you know, try and pick up a safety because we, we never addressed safety in this draft. Um, so it was just curious when running back is kind of, for me, the least of our priorities at the moment. And yeah, his, his RAS score was, you know, 2.28, which is like absolutely shocking. Uh, it was kind of almost as if he wasn't trying. Um, so I don't know what the story is about that. Um, but, you know, I mean, his press conference, he said, I've been in this position before. All my life I've been underrated. Just to know that the Lions are getting everything out of me, absolutely everything. So, I mean, he's clearly a man on a mission, but let's uh, let's see what he can do in training camp. Yeah, how about you, Ryan? Delight the pick. It's a waste. I don't think he'll make the team. There's a few undrafted free agents that have got a better chance of making the team. He's very one-dimensional. He's got vision and he can hit the hole, but that, that's about it. Like you say, he's got a bit of athleticism. Like I say, but the last score, his workout, Frankl is pathetic. Like, he can say what he wants. Like he's, oh, he's got a chip on his shoulder. He's upset. No one took him, but I'm not buying it. When I look who went undrafted, this is going to be a pick that's just going to be total waste, like probably like Jason Huntley. It'll just be one of those last year. It'll be a flyer and a running back that didn't make any sense. When I look at Kay Johnson, even the two wide receivers who took Sage Surratt would have been a better pick. Adarius Washington went undrafted. This mm. guy, this was a... I think they literally pulled the name out of a hat and I just... Well, that's all <laughs> I've said. I'd have much rather had Adarius Washington than, than this guy. I think that's maybe a tiny bit. If we're going on running backs, then obviously we've got Swift as the number one. Williams is the dual receiving threat. I don't think there's going to be much left for another guy coming in. I, th- I think Jefferson offers his own little bit. I think as a short yardage guy, he's better than the other two, maybe. And I think, you know, you've got potential there. So I think that's maybe a bit harsh, but he's, he's never going to be a running back one for sure. But you need depth. In, you need good depth in your team. And I think you can offer that. I do. I do find it odd this pick and so Dane in his chart had him the number nine running back overall fourth or fifth round grade so you know it's it's value if you want to put it like that but there's only three more picks and then you pick him up as an undrafted free agent whereas Ardaris Washington has been mentioned was someone who in on PFF's board was in the a third round I think and other people you know, we're perhaps indicating that, you know, size was an issue and might make sure he's a day three guy. But barring the height issue, he's every bit a day two guy. And so take him before others can. Your very last picks down there are just basically priorities on a waiver wire. It's, it's no more than that. You have the priority to take your pick of the undrafted guys. And I cannot believe 
that a running back was it. You can pick up undrafted running backs and do something with them, just look at San Francisco. And I know that we don't have the offensive minds, perhaps, that they do, but it proves that it can be done with a schema who's a genius and an offensive line that's really good. And we have one of those things, and I don't know if we have the other one, but fingers crossed. At the end of the day, this guy isn't any better than someone else we could have picked up yet three picks later when the undrafted free agency starts. Um, let's talk about the undrafted free agent running backs. And we've got Rakeem Boyd, the running back from Arkansas, and Dedrick Mills from Nebraska. And I'm just going to highlight where these guys are on this running back board from day. So Jamar Jefferson was number nine. Chubba Hubbard, who got drafted, was 10. Chris Evans was 14. He got drafted two. Uh, Jake Funk, I think, got drafted. He was number 25. And Rakeem Boyd was 23. So he was a way down. But he had, um, but he was one of the first few that had a potential free agent grade. But Dedrick Mills doesn't appear whatsoever in the top 35. So do you see either of these boys with a chance to make the roster? Anyone? I think I think it's down to how they perform in camp. You know, I mean, they've they've obviously um, they've obviously got all some ability that's you know alerted the the lion scout. So they've obviously seen some possibilities. I, I guess it just depends on how that quickly they develop and how quickly um, you know what their attitude is in going into camp and and if if they can make an impression. I mean, it, it is a bit of a lottery. I mean, I would say someone like Sage Sower, you would really hope. Um, would come through camp and, and make it onto the roster. Um, I've seen a few people pick out um, Tavonte Beckett, the linebacker, but you just it's really hard to, to know. And if they've been so heavily scattered at college, you kind of wonder what they're going to see in, in, in rookie camp that you know they've not shown in college over the last three or four years. I think um, Dedrick Mills, looking at the two of them, has probably the better chance. I think he's got more good tape about him, more good plays. But if Jefferson is going to make it onto the team, I don't really see us. You know, I think they may reach the practice squad, but I don't think either of them are gonna gonna make the team out of the running backs. I prefer Boyd. He's a more he's a more likable guy because he's come through a tough path, but he runs too upright. He's, he's one dimensional. He'll probably end up getting hurt because, like I say, he just doesn't offer that agility. Like I say, he's going to take too many hits. He doesn't know how to use his body very well. And he's, he's carried the rock. But I don't think he's going to stand much of a chance of Barcelona. All right, let's move on to the wide receiver group then. Jonathan Adams Jr., the wide receiver from Arkansas State, he comes with $90,000 guaranteed. Javon McKinley from Notre Dame, he's got 100 k guaranteed. And Sage Surratt, who's been mentioned before from Wake Forest. It feels like all of these guys have a chance, especially with that guaranteed money out there. Um, any thoughts, boys? I like Adam. Jonathan Adams. Go on, you go. No, we got the same answer. It's fine. I like Adams. There are you Adam Jr. is making the team. He will make the team easily. He's bigger. He's stronger. He's faster. He's a better Tyrell Williams, and he's a red zone animal. He dominates defenses. I've watched so much of his football. He is brilliant at going up and jumping over people. He loves a contested battle. He's a fantastic player, and he put massive numbers at Arkansas State. Like he was, a, he was the go-to guy for a few years on a bad team. Like he, he shouldn't even have gone undrafted. I don't think we should have taken him with the seventh round pick. 
I flagged him on Twitter during his pro day as one to watch out for later on, and I'm really glad we've got him as a UDFA. He's just got a human highlight reel of great catches contested in the red zone, and you know he offers something that a lot of the other guys we have don't. Now, I'm under no illusion that been in the seventh round, there are issues with him, but I think you know for what you've invested in him, which you know he's just a free agent, you're not investing too much. I think his upside is huge, and if you can just get his all-round game up to a good enough level and then take advantage of the mismatch he offers, and Campbell always talks about mismatches. Well, he is a mismatch in so many ways for defensive backs. And as I say, his contested catch ability is probably better than what Kenny's was. I mean, just some of the catches he makes are unreal. So I hope he makes the team. And I hope Surratt makes the team as well. I think he offers plenty, again, if under the right coaching scheme. Now, I just worry about how many receivers we've got at the minute. Will he get? Will they get there? But I hope they at least make it to the practice squad and get protected. Um, McKinley, I don't really care about. Don't think he, you know, he didn't really impress me at Notre Dame. And I don't think he's going to get the team. So he's the one out of the three that I don't really care for. But the other two, I do hope are in the team in some form this season. Yeah. Isn't McKinley so like 24, 25 or something? Yeah. He's, 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 on he's, there. he's there. I like Surratt. But the problem with Surratt is when you watch Sage Surratt, is he runs through treacle. He's so slow. He's not athletic. He's painful to watch. But he carried a Wake Forest offense with Sam Hartman because. He has got good hands. He knows how to run clean routes. He can get just enough separation, like you say, but athletic-wise and speed-wise, he offers you very little, and that is the reason he went undrafted. He is going to really struggle against some of the best corners to get any separation when he doesn't have that, any of that speed to get off the line. He's going to have a real hard job making a team, but if he does, he's going to be an okay short to medium-range kind of guy. I think that that showed up at the senior bowl when he was against better level of competition. He just could not separate. Um, like I actually had painful to watch kind of in my head as well, because it really was. Um, and I think he's the guy who's the name in this uh, UDFA crop. And as I'd, I'd be almost a bit disappointed if he did make the roster because I just feel like he's not going to be able to compete at the NFL level. Could well be wrong on that front, but I would be surprised if one of these three didn't make the team. Um, we don't have a particularly deep room, and they've clearly gone after a particular type of receiver in this group. They're all circa 6'2", 210 pounds. None of them are particularly good athletes, but they're contested catch guys. They're, they're almost kind of replicas of Quintus Cephas, which I think is quite interesting and maybe a bit surprising because I don't think you walk into kind of week one of the season with Cephas and Sage Surratt on the team, for example. I just don't see why you would. They're pretty much the same player. Um, Javon McKinley's probably got a little bit more upside, but he had five years to put it together and, and didn't. So despite the fact he was a four-star player coming out of high school, he couldn't put it together. So, yeah, I think one of these guys will make the team. I have honestly no idea which. Um, but, yeah, the, the Lions clearly have a type that they want in the uh, in the room. Just to put some meat to the bones of, of where they were ranked by day, Jalen Darden was at number 29 of these wide receivers out of 61. Jonathan Adams was 30, one place lower. Fifth to sixth round grade. Uh, Sage Strat, two lower at 32. He had the third slowest 40 time of any of the 61 receivers in the class. Only 0.02 faster than the slowest. And Javon McKinley all the way down at 55 out of 61. 
uh, a definite free agent uh, grade there. Right, let's move on to the tight ends, and I don't think we're going to have too much to say about these guys, because I'm not sure there is a huge amount to say, but I'll open it up to anyone who wants to say something. Brock Wright, the tight end from Notre Dame, uh, Notre Dame, and Jake Hausman, the tight end from Ohio State. Anyone have anything on them whatsoever? Well, I think it's possibly worth um, paying a little bit more attention to them based on the news that's broken in the last couple of minutes, because um, Dave Paquette has just tweeted that the Lions tight end Josh Hill is retiring. Um, oh. The guy who we've just signed from the Saints. So um, I I guess that's why we're visiting with Darren Fells. And I would imagine that's why we've got two undrafted free agent tight ends um, coming in. Well, just, just to put them both into perspective, I deep dived everywhere trying to find tape on either of them and it was physically impossible so <laughs> if there's no tape out there of them and I really tried hard to find some I'm feeling that there's not a lot going on there so, from all I've heard is all I've heard about Hausman is he can block he's a good blocker but I don't think he offers anything else if he yeah. can block he'll make the team because now we need a blocker yeah, that's all I could find. A tiny bit of blocking tape from five years ago just before he joined Notre Dame. Uh, not Notre Dame, where he was at. I can't remember where he was at, but just before yeah, he started his collegiate career anyhow. Yeah. That's, I couldn't find any college tape on either of them, so I highly doubt we'll see either of them going forward. All right, let's round this off with talking about the, the last two offensive players as undrafted free agents. On the O-line, Tommy Kramer at guard from Notre Dame. And Drake Jackson, the centre from Kenta. Jackson, former stablemate of Logan Stenberg. Uh, Kramer, one of those guys that seems like he's got a lot of upside and potential to make the team, given that right guard is a massive question mark right now, boys. Any thoughts? Well, like you say, we've got, who was it like I say, we've got a guy that was teammates with Logan Stenberg from Kentucky on Loyal Well. I'm pretty sure we had at least two guys taking backup reps at centre last year, Stenberg included. So unless he can play centre, he's going to have one hell of a job convincing anyone he's worth a roster spot. He seems like a guy, I've read that, he's, he said he's super competitive, he will do what he can, he's a fighter, but he's got to show a bit of versatility. And frankly, anyone that can play a guard, especially right guard, has got a chance because God, the ties are awful. I won't be... I won't be, I won't be sad to see him go honestly so the, 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 there is a spot there one of them is going to get potentially a spot it's up to which one of them can show most versatility again they were two guys I couldn't find any tape on whatsoever I found a 45 second clip of Jackson on his on the Kentucky Facebook page but to me honestly he reminds me quite a lot in the builder Stenberg a rough nasty guy who's a you know big fellow will you know block well who will get very physical but we already have Logan Stenberg, so I don't think we need another guy. We've got a backup for Frank Rag now, and Stenberg takes the centre snaps as the backup guy there. So, And I can't find anything on the Notre Dame guard either, but I know Ian Buck got chased around a lot last year. Outside of Eichenberg, that line was a little suspect, so that would worry me a tiny bit. Yeah, so Jackson was, I believe, the highest-ranked UDF, uh, UDFA sorry, on NFL.com for interior offensive line. Um, but he's undersized. He doesn't have length. He might be a center and center only, so doesn't offer flexibility. 
and frankly got outclassed at the senior bowl. So um, I'm kind of managing expectations there. There's definitely a chance one of these two guys could make the team because like I say, offensive line depth, I think is going to be even more valuable this year. Um, but yeah, there's, there's not much to, to give lots of confidence here. Um, yeah. Yeah. So Drake Jackson, fifth round grade by Dane. Undersized is right, though. He was the smallest center in class. He was the lightest center in class. He had the shortest arms, the, short, the smallest hands, second smallest wingspan, and he was the oldest. So none of that sounds particularly good. Uh, <laughs> the the only thing about that is because he's clearly got so many limitations um, like fair play to him and he must have some something about him that he's still able to compete because everything about that screams he shouldn't even be he shouldn't be relevant in the NFL draft but he is and he still had a fifth round grade on him and he was still one of our higher ranked UDFAs so you know there must be something about him he must want to compete um, being in that Kentucky setup he's going to be physical so it, yeah it'll be interesting it wouldn't surprise me like say if he or someone else makes the 53 but um, but yeah, leveling expectations. I think there was yeah. there was footage of his one on ones from the Senior Bowl in which he looked fairly good at that. But it's not the most to go off in the world, to be fair. So no, no. I mean the the weaknesses we've highlighted. The only thing that Dane says more is that because of his size, he tends to lunge, which makes him unbalanced. But he does say in terms of the strengths: quick-footed blocker, quick to hit his landmarks, flies out his stance with balance to execute reach, blocks or falls, strong technically, sound hands to strike and slide his lower body into position, flashes a rapid tight punch. You know, there's lots of nice words on there, but physically, is is he just too limited? I don't know. I do think that the whispers pre-draft of Stenberg having really struggled through the season and, and facing an uphill battle to, to make the team might see Kramer and Jackson both have a chance to make the team individually as just a centre and just a guard over Stenberg trying to do both not particularly well, but we'll see. Four undrafted free agents on defence. Let's just take them all together. Devontae Beckett, linebacker from Marshall. D'Angelo Amos, DB from Virginia. Jerry Jacobs, cornerback from Arkansas. AJ Parker, cornerback from Kansas State. He comes with 35 grand guarantee. Boys, take it away while I take one Beckett is the sneaky guy in this UDFA class. I love, I've loved watching the tape of him. There was a lot of Derek Barnes-esqueness about him, the ability to find holes, the ability to tackle, you know, get to tackles behind the line of scrimmage. And I think the reason he's fallen to undrafted free agent status is that he comes from small school. Marshall isn't the biggest school in the world. And I know he did have an arrest some time ago, but by all accounts, his personality issues are not a problem anymore. And he was a team captain there as well. But what makes me think the lines are really interested in here, they specifically went to the Marshall Athletic Pro Day and only 12 teams went there. So they saw something in him, which a lot of teams haven't. And I think looking at his tape, he has the potential to make an impact at the NFL level. And, you know, I'm actually quite looking forward to seeing how he does. I think he'll make the roster because we've not got that much depth at linebacker. 
I think we'll take a chance on him, and I think he'll surprise a lot of people. So out of all the undrafted free agents here, for me, he is the one to watch to make a really big impact on this team for what we're spending on him. Yeah, so the other guy um, I'd mentioned is D'Angelo Amos, and that's less to do with what he can do on defense. So he's a safety, um, but also returner. And I think for a team that lost Jamal Agnew, there's obviously an open spot there. Now, Amos isn't a hugely athletic guy, which worries me, not only from a returner standpoint, but also because he probably fits more naturally as a single high safety. And a single high safety without range is um, off the team, to be honest. So, um, we'll have to see. Like I say, I think his best chance is probably special teams. But um, yeah, I don't think there's there's a huge amount of excitement in these defensive UDFAs apart from maybe uh, the Marshall linebacker. Does uh, anyone know if Jamar Jefferson's a returner? I don't think so. No, I don't think he's staying there. I wasn't sure whether that might be the reason why they'd, they'd gone for him in the seventh. I don't think he played special teams. I remember hearing that he sat in on the special teams meetings um, because obviously knew that's his way to get in in the NFL. Again, he's a guy who doesn't have top-end athleticism, so he's not going to be a gunner. He's probably not going to be a returner, um, but doesn't mean he can't get special team snaps in. I think AJ Parker has got a very good chance of making the team. He played 33 games. He was a career starter at Kansas State. And it was primarily nickel, where someone where we're very weak. Like say, primarily, like say, we don't know if Cornell is going to be here in a year. And like say, Meliform was a bit big. Like say, if he's going to start an outside working, if he's going to be a nickel corner. But I think he's got a bit of length to him. He's got a few wars in his time. Let's say in the Big Ten at Kansas State. So he's got someone that's got experience. He's going to bring with a pedigree, knowing the position well. So I think he's someone that Corn Elder could take under his wing. So he just, could take rotational snaps this year. Just a, a question on the on the roster overall, but just what one we just touched on. So we didn't take Trevon Morig in the second round when we could. We didn't address the need for safety at all during the draft. We've not taken on an undrafted free agent at safety. Do you think they could maybe be moulding Melifonwu into playing safety? And it's so I mentioned it slightly earlier that he could, he's got the frame too, but I just, I think you'd rather gamble on him outside as a press corner and using those, those measurables out there. Um, I think it would be, it would be admitting defeat too early to play him at safety and trying to groom him, groom him there. Um, Obi Melifonmu, his, his brother, was a safety and they actually thought he should maybe go the other way because of his athletic traits. Um, so I would worry more probably from an instinct standpoint of Melifon with safety. He probably could do it. I think where you do see him is maybe a matchup piece. So playing almost as a manned up nickel safety against particular weapons. But I don't think he'll probably pay back end where our gap is. So one of those two high safeties. I'd, I'd say we keep him a corner as well. I mean, yeah. for me, if I'm going to make a a hot take out of these guys who are here. I think Melifonru is going to be groomed as a long-term successor to Oruwariye if he doesn't pan out because he's not got much time here left. And I think he's going to fill that slot if Amani fails. I can see him. He's great in coverage and he just needs to work on a few little bits, like say guys getting behind him. But I think he's really got the potential to do well on the outside. So I would keep him there for now. 
The Lions have signed one other player, I don't know whether you've mentioned it, but they've signed a guard, Evan Hine. Uh, he is out of Minnesota State Mankato. Mankato? Mankato? Um, he has a 9.01 RAS score. So, in keeping with the theme, 6 foot, uh, six foot 3, 307 pounds, so a little undersized for a guard. 24 on the bench, so not particularly strong, but good explosion, uh, good 40-yard dash, elite agility, 445 shuttle, 763 cone at 63307. So, uh, promise athletically, um, I don't know anything more than that. He's not on Dane's chart of players available. Uh, apparently, he really suffered last year with with COVID opt-outs and, and scrapping a lot of workouts at the smaller schools and that sort of thing. So just thought I should bring that to your attention. Any more on, on the free agents? We were talking about the roster in general now, weren't we, really? Well, I, I was just going to say them, uh, our safety group, so I'm just, I'm just obsessed for safeties at the moment. Our safety group is Tracy Walker, Will Harris, Dean Marlowe, who's played seven career games in his six-year career, CJ Moore, who's a kind of special teamer, and someone called Bobby Price, who I've never heard of. So, Shut your face. Oh, don't say that. Shut your face. <laughs> Did, uh, Bobby that... Price. Oh, Just go sign Bay Boston. Just go that... sign Bay Boston. It's not hard. He's That's super weird. experienced. He's really good on the back end. It won't be expensive. Like there's, mar- there's safeties on the agent. Now we're going to get signing boards from Josh Hill back if he retires. We've got money to spend. If we don't we, sign experience safety like Kenny Vaccaro or Trey Boston, we're stupid. We I mean, that just sounds ter- a terrible group of players. We were never going to fix every area this year. I think that's the thing. And I think safety is just one of those positions they've just gone right well next year. Because I think no matter how we came out of this draft, we'd be talking about one position group going, oh my God, that's terrible. The only thing for us is now this D-line has been completely revamped. The pressure on the secondary, if we're getting at the quarterback a lot more, is going to go down. So the weaknesses might not necessarily be exposed as much. I think that's probably the thinking there. And then next draft, go get yourself your safety and hope that Walker steps up this year and becomes the free safety we know he can be. I would be amazed if they didn't bring in another guy, as in a guy who they expect to take starter snaps. And I think, um, like I say, they couldn't fix every hole. Safety is one of the probably the deepest right now in terms of free agents who are actually still available, not to do, not undrafted free agents as in vets. So yeah, it's, it's not hugely promising. Again, I know we asked a question earlier about picks you'd like to change or where you would have something different, uh, done something different given Arusu Koromoa fell more potentially because of a medical issue with his heart issue. I think this draft would look even better if we had Trayvon Merrick at that second pick instead of Onzerike, then I feel like we probably had a more rounded class. Um, but like I say, I, I I can't imagine we are expecting Will Harris to play a deep half. I just have not seen that in his skill set. Um, and even as Lions fans, he's an easy target, but I also just physically don't think he can do it as well. It's not even that I don't think he can do it well. I don't think he can do it. Dean Marlowe, I'll be honest, I haven't broken down the film, but I can't imagine he's going to be doing it too. So we're going to have to bring someone in realistically to, to take start snaps. Yeah, so let, let's move on to that in terms of picks and swapping and, and whatever you want. Uh, let, let's just call it a vacuum because I do think if we take that, 
that swap that Tom's just suggested. If we take Merrick in the second, I do wonder whether Philly trade down, thinking actually Detroit maybe do need a defensive tackle and they take Lee McNeil at 70. But that's not the scenario. Every other pick happens as it does, but you can swap one of your picks. Who wants to shout one out? And let's assume that you can't change the seventh. You can change the fourth trade, but you can't change to the seventh round pick because it's just too easy to say, I'd have taken someone else because it's all undrafted free agents at that point. So meaningful pick change, you would think. Having watched a lot of the prospects, now I like the picks that have been made, then I will probably keep them as they are. But if you're going to sort of force me into a change, then obviously I think for me I'd get rid of Malafonru and I'd take Jabril Cox. I think him falling that far was an absolute godsend for somebody and th- that would be the change that I'd make but I'm not disappointed with Melophon Rue that's just more personal preference for me right, so You said I can't change the seventh I remember you asked me at the time live who do you want to take in seventh but I said a pick that went like three picks before I wanted Christian Uphoff the safety from Illinois State and he was taken about three picks before but if I had to choose I would get rid of Melophon Rue and I'd taken Andre Sisko I'd have taken that elite level safety. I think Cisco went relatively early. I think he went actually before our even early third round pick. Maybe I think he was the first pick in the third round. Yeah, he was 65. Yeah. So that yeah, so Jabril Cox, I think he was was he medical issues? I can't remember. There was a reason he fell as well, right? So yeah. I think it's I tried to do it in the moment when I'm kind of selecting the picks. And I, I mentioned Awusu Koromoa, who would have taken Cox as well. But obviously when it's medicals, it's kind of, they've got more info than you, I guess. Um, in the third round, I really liked Diami Brown um, instead of Aline McNeil. Um, and like I say, I like to do it because I've completely talked myself into Aline McNeil now. And I think, Steve, you mentioned it earlier, like sometimes a pick is announced and you're like, ah, but then actually you sleep on it. You think how they're going to fit the team and you really like it. Um, so I'm really happy with Aline McNeil. Diami Brown is just a guy that I, I quite liked. And I thought was we were about reaching the end of those real high upside, could be a kind of star receiver picks at that stage. So I would have probably jumped that instead of McNeil. I think he just went before Melifon. I could have sworn he was just taken before. Don't, don't talk about crushers going just before our picks. That's still sore. <laughs> Richard Grant went at 40 one spot before us, and I will never, ever, ever, ever forgive the Falcons for that. Uh, yeah, there, was a, there, was a, it, there was nearly always kind of one pick before, though, because there was Richie Grant. I think uh, Aaron Robinson was a guy I also really liked to play nickel. He went one spot before, and then, yeah, Ryan was saying Elijah Molden, I think, was the other guy who went just before. He went at 100, yeah. yeah all guys who I was like, okay, like I could get on board with this, and then, yeah, gone. I kind of I poured some out of my metaphorical cup when Richie Grant went out. Yeah, I, I did as well. I, I said a lot of nasty things about the Falcons, and I don't regret it. I, I even went to the Falcons UK podcast and said, you better take good care of him. I'm absolutely distraught you've taken him, and they've got a hell of a player there. It was That was the most jarring point of the draft for me. I'm not going to lie. It, it's probably even worse than if we passed on him. Just a, I'll never know if we'd have taken him or not. Yeah, I'm... I'm... I'm I'm kind of the same as Tom, except maybe the player's different. I really liked um, Nico Collins, wide receiver from Michigan. Um, you know, he's a, a big guy, but really fast. I think he's like six foot four, but like 4.45, 40. 
um, and great at contested catches, like, you know, superb OAS of 9.57. And I was like really thinking, you know, like this is a wide receiver that's still on the board that could really make the roster and make an impact. So I was a little higher than on him than I was on St. Brown. Um, but I, I get it. I, I get what they've done. I get the rationale. So I'm, you know, I'm not going to sort of be too unhappy about it. Yeah, the, the one for me was Levi as well. Although there's value there, he's not going to see the field that often. Uh, I think maybe he'll see the field about 40 to 50% of the snaps, which is fine, as we've talked about before. But I would have liked to have taken someone at a position which is seen as less valuable, but I think is actually in their kind of evolution of what people are thinking about roster building, probably becoming a lot more valuable a lot quick, more quickly. And that's slot corner, and that's Asante Sangle Jr. I just think he's going to... People in, in sub-packages now sometimes spend 70% of the snaps there. And I just think he'd be so versatile in that spot. And I also think he can play outside as well. So that that's the pick I would have made at 41. I was happy at 7. I would have been just as happy taking fields. Um, I know that's controversial for a lot of people, especially since who went to. But, I mean, just to screw him over as well, wouldn't it have been fun? They would have been left with no one. Uh, so, so that's mine. Let's let's move on to the next sort of question. So Robert has asked, uh, which of our rookies will perform better than expectation and worse than expectation? So let's just pick out one each just to make that nice and simple. So let's start with Ant. So to go above expectation, I think Derek Barnes, I think he's going to be great at this level. And I think he's going to surprise people for a fourth round pick. One who could go below expectations. This is not a dig at him, but I feel like it has to be Sewell because I feel like the expectation over him is massive. Whereas the rest of the picks, I don't think we'd be all that disappointed if they didn't turn into massive superstars. So for me, it's Sewell who's the one who could underachieve the most, especially switching tackle position. Steve. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that, that switching tackle position, um, you know, it it could prove harder than maybe everyone thinks, um, and maybe it's next season that we see the best out of Saul in twenty twenty two. But um, I I think out of the picks, um, St Brown has got a real chance at wide receiver. Um, I, I just think the depth of talent that we've got on wide receiver, and also the kind of unpredictability of how durable some of these guys are that we've signed. Um, I, I think, you know, if he performs well in camp and really comes on, I think playing in the slot, it's going to suit Goff to target him. And I think he could make a, a, a you know a nice impact in the first season. Ryan? I think Mellifon will really struggle this year because you need to find a role for him. Right now, we're going to see a lot of Cornell, Quint, Dunbar, a lot of Kuta. So him and Armani are going to probably be rotational this year, to be honest. So until they find a role for him and he finds where he's best suited, we'll probably get, he's probably going to see maybe 20-30% max snaps this season. It, it, even if that, I think someone that is going to actually have, like say, a brighter role is Amon, Amon Ra. I think he's going to be someone that could benefit from a guy that just really lets us down. Like say, I like Brayshard Perryman and but I do I think he's going to be seeing the field all that much? Do I think he's going to underwhelm? He's underwhelmed in most places he's been, and he's someone that I feel could 
possibly give up too quick. Like say, so I think Amon Ra will pounce on that. He'll jump on those snaps if needs be. And he could possibly be that kind of guy that will be at the sticks. He'll be an Amandola. I'm hoping he's going to be clutch. Tom. Yeah, so completely agree with Saul. I'd be amazed if he even meets expectations. And that's only because of all the generational talk. Um, you don't just stroll in and become a top tackle, really. I know Tristan Wirfs did it this year. I think the guys who went last year have made it a bit unfair because three out of the four that went early have really hit the ground running and set unrealistic expectations. But you look at Andrew Thomas, who went four overall last year, and he struggled in parts and wouldn't surprise me at all if Sewell was the same as that. So to move away from those, I think similar to what you were saying there, Ryan, Melifonma was the guy who I think might surpass expectations because I think he's one of the few who we've actually got relatively low expectations for in terms of playing much um, and therefore wouldn't surprise me if he beat out Ori Warrior. Um, or at least towards the end of the season, started getting uh, more of those starter snaps. And the guy who then I think may perform worse is actually Aleem McNeil. And the reason being, we're just assuming he's going to stroll in and be the starting nose tackle. So we're not really giving him a third round pick much kind of room for error. We're just assuming this guy's going to come in and take start snaps at nose instead of Penasini. So um, there's absolutely a chance that there's a longer acclimatization and actually he isn't able to go in and start at nose tackle week one. And I don't think whilst that would be disappointing, um, it's not unrealistic to say of a third round pick not to be a starter. So he's the guy who I think could perform below expectation just because we're expecting him to start already. Hmm. I'll round it off. And I'm going to start with one which perhaps might be a little bit of a surprise. I think the person who might underwhelm is Amon Ra. And I think it's because I, this is all about where people's expectations are, really. And I see people talking about Amon Ra as this absolute steal who's going to have a really high floor and he's just going to consistently produce. And he's not going to be amazing, but he's, he's going to be pretty good and he's going to start. And I wonder with his size and his ability sometimes to switch off whether he might struggle a little bit with the physicality at the NFL level. I think there's going to be an adjustment period there that people aren't factoring in. Uh, and I'm going to go the opposite way to Tom for the person I think who's going to do really well. And I think it's going to be a limit meal. Um, the reason I think that is because I think he's come in with this sort of idea that he is just this run-stuffing guy who's going to sit there and absorb everything in a sort of Danny Shelton sort of way that Ryan sort of put earlier, sort of blob that just sits there and absorbs everything. But... There is upside there that people aren't going to see coming, especially for the casual fans who haven't been watching Robert Tate. This guy is explosive and he will get through some gaps. And I think he'll get a couple of sacks and people are going to turn around and say, I didn't realise this guy could do this. So those are my two. Let's move on to the last couple of questions. So we had uh, Draft Night Revisited. I don't know if there's any particular memories that people have of the three days. Any one Thing that sticks out as a notable moment, perhaps from an interview we did or a pick that we made or someone else made. Anything stick out to anyone? Ryan? I'll start. I thought it was hilarious that the Saints took Ian Book in the fourth round. That is <laughs> such a huge reach for a guy that is okay in the run, but that's only because he was getting run out of the pocket every two seconds by nowhere. That was that was a disaster. I think he's, he's going to severely underwhelm. He's I think Jamius Winston is probably a long-term starter. He is a back backup at best. I think him and Schwartz were the big reaches for me. Schwartz shouldn't have been had no right going in the nineties to the Browns. You do that well as well. 
sub 150 pounds going in the middle of the second round. Shocker. Shocker. Any any thoughts, Steve, on uh, notable moments? Well, I, I always look to our uh, divisional rivals and uh, I, I, I particularly enjoyed Kellen Mond being drafted to the Vikings after um, a tweet that he sent in 2016 um, completely slagged off the state of Minnesota. So that, that was an interesting one. Um, I think just to kind of hold back background to the draft um, from an NFC North point of view is the fact that, you know, there's Roger Goodell on the stage. Um, you know, it's his big moment of the year and he, he's up there and he's probably looking into the crowd thinking, why is everyone on their phone? Why, why is everyone, you know, sort of talking in hushed conversations at the back of the hall? Because Aaron Rodgers had decided to, um, you know, just literally moments before the draft uh, be the sort of Kanye West to Roger Goodell's Taylor Swift um, and kind of completely upstaged the moment by, you know, just dropping this absolute like news bomb in the middle of like Goodell's draft. So I think that was just highly amusing. I love that. That's the sort of Grammys. I got something to say. <laughs> yeah. Moment. Um, for me, I think it was having CJ on, the Vikings fan, just the total... Oh. FTP mantra he brought on it was loud it was proud and I I was here for it that was that was really really good fun um right that that's all of Rob's questions dealt with in terms of Ashley he had a couple so let's get to them which of the UDFAs do you see making the roster I'm not going to recount them again we might have already said it already but let's just give a name anyone want to kick off someone I think it's definitely going to make it Jonathan Beckett I think Beckett's going to be near starting potential by the end of this year. I think he's that good, potentially. Maybe so. Yeah, and then let's go Rakeem Boyd, because running backs, you're going to need a few of them. <laughs> yeah, I think AJ Park has a shot with the upside on special teams. I, I think that's probably the one for me that's the, the most. Right, uh, here's... Second, the last question, which positions should the Lions be looking for in vets now the comp pick deadline has gone? Obviously tight end, given the news, uh, but anywhere else? Safety. Safety. I think that might be universal. Yeah, yeah, safety yeah. for sure. I, I've just looked at, like, I mean, like Malik Hooker from the Colts is still unsigned. I mean, he's I know he's... He's visiting the Dolphins today. Oh, well... He's injured. Uh, so injury prone. I know. Oh. Well, just don't we guarantee someone... him for injury then. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I, I mean, this is it. Like tight end is, you know, like has all of a sudden become a problem. Safety is a problem anyway. But, you know, I mean, I, I was just reading that um, the, I think it's the Denver Broncos starting guard or tackle has ripped his Achilles today, practicing outside the facility on his own and he's out for the season. And I mean, these things are going to be happening for the next few months. So uh, let's just hope that our luck holds out a bit better than it has done so far. Someone quite big had an injury today and is out for 10 weeks, and I can't remember who it is. Is it Tristan Worse? No, it's Andrew the Thomas. Jets guy. The it's the Jets guy, Williams. Quinn and Williams. It's Quinn and Williams. Quinn and Williams, that's who I was thinking of. Yes. Broke his toe. All right. Uh, last question from Ashley. Rate or rank the draft of the other NFC North teams? Anyone want to go first? On that, um, oh, go on, Ryan. Go on, go on, Ryan. I don't want to rank the whole thing, but I'm going to make a bold prediction: is 
that within a few weeks of the season, Justin Fields is going to come in and the Bears are going to finish with a winning record. He is going to come in and he's going to transform that team for me. He is going to be a nightmare for us for years to come on end. I think he's he's made their draft. Have you ever heard the phrase, you can't polish a turd? <laughs> you know, I think he's going to make the best of, well, I say, if you can't trade Miller, they've got Darnell Miller in it. He's got Alan Robinson for one year. Those three guys, if he can get in for, say, 10 games of those guys, I think he's going to make the most of them. I think the problem with the Bears pick is the amount of draft capital that they've given up. Um, picking the quarterback when they've got so many holes on the roster. I know I know Fields is good. You know, I'm sure he is going to be a really good quarterback at some point. But they've already paying Andy Dalton a small fortune. They're paying Nick Foles a small fortune. They can't cut either of them. And they're taking a quarterback and they're giving up next year's draft capital. If Fields is a bust, it's an absolute dumpster fire for the Bears. And Absolutely. And, and they spent their next three picks on tackles after that, didn't they, uh, mm-hmm. on their own end? But I think I like the Bears draft at the start. I think in Fields and Jenkins, they probably got the best of the NFC North teams in the first two rounds. Jenkins just fell to them there. But I think they also got the steal of the entire draft with Daz Newsom at 221. I would have, you know, given anything to get him at that point. I had him predicted in the fifth round. So for him to fall so far, I think he's a great receiver and I think he's going to cause us a lot of problems. He's a he's a speedster there. So I, th- I think the Bears probably, they got the best steal. They had the best opening. But I think overall, the Vikings, the Packers, I think early on they struggled. I think the Packers picking Myers over um, Humphrey was a massive mistake. But I do like some of the late round picks. You know, the Vikings got Emir Smith Marset at one fifty seven. I think that was a great pick there. They what do you think about picks. Eric Stokes and I love Eric Stokes. I think he's a great player and I think he'll I, I think the trouble is I think it's the wrong team for him. The Packers fans are not very nice towards cornerbacks that aren't named Jair Alexander. I think he'll be expected to contribute heavily right away because they need a guy next to Alexander to hold that secondary down. And I don't think Stokes is going to have the immediate impact they want. I think in time, he's going to be great. But I feel like they're going to give him a rough ride early on. And I I was a bit gutted he went there, in fairness, because he was one of my favourite players. But, I mean, they did get a steal later on with Jean Charles cornerback as well. I think he'll do really well there. So I think in time, their cornerback room is going to become pretty decent. But um, yeah, I, I didn't want to see Stokes there. He's going to be really good. I, th- I think that the thing that's like unbelievable from a, the Lions' point of view is in the off-season where we got rid of Matt Stafford and QB was like the biggest focus, out of the four teams in the NFC North, we're the only team that currently isn't in the middle of a quarterback controversy because you know the Kellen Mond arriving at the Vikings I'm sure is going to unsettle Cousins um, and Cousins deal is watertight for the next two years so that's going to be interesting you've now got three QBs at the Bears and then obviously we've talked to death about Rodgers and um, you know the Jordan Love so I mean how ironic is that the Vikings were waiting for Fields to fall, weren't they? That came out. So I think, you know, Cousins is probably going to be even more concerned now. And I think it was silly of the Vikings to wait. 
you know, they were a lot higher than the Bears were. They'd have probably had to give up a lot less if they really wanted him. But yeah, they screwed up their early draft. I don't think Darasaur was worth 23. I don't think Mon's going to see much action soon, but they did have a good middle. Getting Surratt, Davis and Jones between 78 and 90, I think they were really good picks. But the rest of it, apart from Smith-Marset, I think it was poor from them. I liked Generis as well for the for the Vikings. I think on the, the Packers, I didn't really like the draft, but Amari Rogers going to them I think is interesting because a guy we talked about a lot for the Lions um, will be interested to see how he does in the division. Um, may make that nickel role even more important for the Lions if he does um, if he does kick on and become a good starter. I like the end of the Packers draft. Like I say, John Charles, 178. McDuffie, 220. Kylin Hill, 256, I think it was. Kylin Hill's one of those running backs who were late on, who has a potential to be a really good gadget guy. I think late on, they did get it spot on and the Rogers pick. So it's hard to say who's had the best one out of them. I think all the teams have landed some really good ones, but a lot of it is also a bit mm, not sure. But the Bears draft is the one I'd say is the best now. Could also turn out to be the worst, right? If you hit on yeah. field, it's, it's an absolute no-brainer. I actually don't think they gave up that much. Yes, they gave up another first-rounder, but you compare what a lot of people have given up for first-rounders this year or given up for Stafford, for example. I, I think to give up two firsts is okay, especially if you plan on picking into the 20s. Um, and Tevin Jenkins, like I say, great value at 30, 35 or whatever it was. So I think theirs on paper now is probably the best. And I probably looking at media, they'd probably say stronger than the Lions draft, but it, it all comes down to fields. Yeah, it all comes down to fields. I don't think the Minnesota or Green Bay had a good draft at all. I think they both have really poor drafts. But that many for Minnesota for me comes down to the fact that I hate Darasaur and he's just going to bust. I've talked about that before, but if you rate him lowly, the rest of the drafts are really poor. Green Bay, I'm not high on John Charles. Um, Josh Myers is going to play starter role at centre, and he was taken around too high, maybe around and a half um, at 62. So you know, and I'm not high on Amari Rogers. I think he's okay, but I'd rather have some Brown. I really would. So. You know, I, I think we might just sneak it. But with Chicago and what Steve was saying before about kind of not maybe mortgaging their future, but making it harder for themselves, I think I think they were staring down the barrel of a gun. I think if they didn't make a move, I could see them in the top five next year. And, you know, maybe that would be a good thing for them to pick in the top five next year because the course back class next year, despite what everyone said pre-draft, potentially looks just as good as this one. So... They, they, they could have gone one of two ways. They could have traded back, accumulated capital, not tanked, but just maybe did not pretended that they were going to try and go for it. They went the other way. It might work out. I see them still struggling next year, even if Fields is good. They got lucky with Jenkins falling. I think that softened the blow a lot for them. Mm. You know, because that was a big position of need for them. And for him to fall after taking the gamble on Fields, if that works out, then that'll look like a really shrewd move. Especially because yeah, they but... need to get him. So it looks like, as in, you can claim real responsibility for that as well, as in you went and got your guy. Um, but like I say, it's no issue with Pace giving up future picks because if Fields doesn't hit, he won't be making them next year anyway. So it's a win-win from his standpoint. Yeah. Yeah, right. I think that's going to draw it to a close, boys, unless anyone has anything more they'd like to say on any of these guys. 
All right, our next episode is going to be a week from now, 11th of March. It's going to be the state of the Detroit roster. So we're going to have a look at where we think the potential starters are going to come out. Maybe we're going to hear some news about some potential signings in between now and then as well. Coming up in the future, we're going to do a live film breakdown on all of our draftees. So I have a resource which manages to cut up some all 22 film. Not guaranteed on all of them, but what I'm going to do is with whoever wants to come on, pop the video on stream and just comment on it as we're looking at it, take notes as if we are really scouting these guys for the first time. I'm not going to try and look at it too much beforehand, so I've got fresh eyes. And if any of you guys want to join along with that, it's probably going to be in addition to, to the normal pods on a Tuesday, but that's what's coming up. Uh, don't forget to hit us up on our socials on YouTube. It's Royal Alliance UK on Twitch, RTO underscore UK, and it's the same on Twitter. On Facebook, page is Royal Alliance UK. The group is Detroit Lions Fans UK One Five Worldwide. On Instagram, RTO.UK, and you'll get articles on our draftees at RoyalAllianceUK.com. Don't forget to subscribe and rate us five stars on your podcast provider. Really appreciate everything you can do on that front. It makes what we do. Well, I mean, it gives us a feedback, which is really useful, but it gives us some some reward as well, which is great. Uh, my thanks to co-hosts Ant, Steve, Ryan, Tom, boys. Draft season's been great. Absolutely loved it. So thank you very much. We'll see you soon on the Royal Lions UK podcast. Let's go Lions, one pride. One pride. FTP.